Welcome to Campfire Football. This is episode 89 and a very special episode. This is the first time I had a guest inside my studio. Really fun and in order to tell a wonderful story. This year I participated as an assistant coach with the Northfield High School Boys soccer team and embarked on a ride that ended in a 20-0 state championship winning season. Jason Kiever is the head coach of this program. He developed it from scratch, and his story is fascinating. This is my colleague, a mentor, and has become a dear friend. And his story is one worth telling. So, please enjoy a good, long, solid conversation with Jason Kiever. Well, this is the the funnest thing is maybe having set this whole thing up now. This is the first time we're doing something in here. So, Jason, um, what a seven years it's been. Um, for me, it's been a, an amazing eight, nine months. But uh, you've been here since the beginning. So I just want you, first of all, talk about what you feel right now, one week removed from winning a state title. Man, it's been a an emotional ten days, I guess. Um, but right now, I'm kind of just letting the dust settle and figuring out what's next. Uh, coming out of coming out of church this morning, actually, the the message was, you know, the the end of one beginning, or sorry, the big the beginning of something is actually the end of something else. So I was thinking about that. And I'm like, all right, so. Seven years has taken to get to where we're at. We accomplished so much this year, but like, what is the next chapter? What does that look like? You know, we've set the stage for players wanting to come to Northfield, for parents being bought in, for the community being united. Like, how can I take that and really take Northfield to the next level? So I've been processing that, but also I've just kind of been letting the dust settle and just reflecting man over everything from the last seven years and you know you know a lot of it that I've kind of joked with you about but yeah I haven't really formulated what all that looks like but I'm writing things down as they come to mind and just making notes that's and that's been the kind of funny thing for me I've been like thinking over but like the last week just trying to remember all the little things yeah uh, as much as possible because they uh, they really are what fill in the bricks of the, the, the road for the story. And again, like I I only started with the team, what was it, March or February? February. February. 2021. Uh, yep, February this year. And you took over the program when exactly? When did you get told we are hiring you for the job? It was probably March – no, I think it was February of 2015. Yeah, so I got a – when I was the assistant at Denver South in 2014, that was just after I had left the Rapids and thought I was just going to work for a little while and step away from the game. My buddy at South asked me to come be his assistant. So at that time, I did that in fall of 2015, and I brought on a friend of mine, Andy Gellner, who I had coached back in Tennessee, actually, when I was coaching collegiately. And – while we were at South, we kind of joked about how fun it would be if one day we got to start our own program. And 
think it was just after that season finished. So it was probably November, December of 2014. I got a text from uh, from a parent whose kid I used to coach in the Rapids and just asked, hey, there's this new school that's being – it was literally just a couple sentences. There's a new school being built in, in Stapleton in Northfield. Would you be interested in taking on the job? And I just texted back, sure, throw my name in the hat. And that was it. And then it was – Actually, yeah, it was right before Christmas. I sat down with the, uh, one of the heads of the search committee, Jason Keller, at a Starbucks down in Lowry, and uh, yeah, just kind of interviewed with him. And from that moment on, he was a huge advocate for me. Um, he actually wrote up an incredible resume for me. He knew everything about me by that point. He'd researched and everything. And uh, it was right after the new year. I reconnected with him, said, yes, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to pursue this thing. He connected me with Avi Tropper, who was the principal. Um, and Avi, for your context, he had come down from New York. He'd been in the school system up there, and this was his vision, this big IB um, innovative school with all kinds of innovative things. Like they were going to take their lunchtime and do um, – it basically make lunchtime a focused sport training period as well. There's all kinds of innovative things that they, in theory, were going to do. But anyways, it was February. Um, it was a snowy day. I remember I didn't call into work or anything. I, I had a 9 a.m. coffee meeting at Denver Bike Cafe with Avi. I had my my six-month, my nine-month, my year plan, my two-year plan. I had all this, all this stuff typed out in preparation for it. And we sat down for 15 minutes. He could not have seemed any less disinterested or any more disinterested, I guess. And he's like, okay, cool. And that was it. And he gave me the job. So <laughs> that's when I got the job. And then from, from there on, it was kind of, it was quiet until, well, frankly, until the fall. But in the summer, when I started pressing the AD for, you know, interest lists and things like that. Um, and that summer we had, you know, we I did pick up out at EV Dennis, and uh, I think the very first session I had one player show up. Oh God! One player, <laughs> um, and it was Gabe Ariola, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You told me he was your I was doing your OG. I, I was yeah, my OG captain. I was doing cover with him and just a bunch of technical stuff. And the most players I ever had show up were four players, and so I just jumped in. We play like you know two v two plus one or whatever. But uh, that was that was that summer, 2015. Here's a question: What did you do <coughs> that first session where one kid shows up? What did you do? What was did you say? Sorry, man, just go home. Or did you guys juggle? But what did you do? Uh, we did cover. That's it. I just did some technical training with him um, for a solid hour. Yeah. So th- this actually, this is a that's a small little anecdote of. Uh, an example of what I've watched you do since I, since you brought me on, you really are, and this is, this is good food for thought for any coach out there. Um, if you're out on the field and you planned to be there for a certain amount of time, regardless as to how many players are out there, you're putting in the work, you're showing up. Um, I watched you do that all season with with so many different situations where you made more time to be involved with your team and not only that but you you really made like I mean you just showed up and you gave it your best every time and I see a lot of coaches 
you know, they're like, oh, what? The, the weather's kind of getting bad. I guess we can shorten the practice or whatever, right? They, not necessarily that they're lazy, but in a moment where you, sh- you set up a thing, you're hoping 10, 15 people show up and you can, you know, do a couple 3v3s and one person shows up. I think, I mean, ask yourself as a coach if you're listening, like, what would you do? And I think a lot of people's first reaction might be like, well, I don't know. I just told the kid, look, sorry, hopefully next week we get more people. As opposed to dedicating that whatever hour of your time to this one player because they showed up. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I don't know if that's one of the little nuggets of foreshadowing that you've isolated in, in all. Because we've talked about how many little bits of serendipitous stuff has led all this way, little connection points. And maybe you had thought about that or not, but I, I consider that to be just completely a just a perfect illustration of how hard you've also worked as a coach to do this. Um, there's so much extra time dedicated. And like I said, I know a lot of coaches that in that situation would just kind of be like, well, we'll pack it in and try next time. Mm-hmm. So... This kind of leads me, you're passionate about the game to the core. I kind of want to give you a chance here to just talk about your playing career. So this is where you're from, and then from when you started to when you actually put the cleats away and decided I'll coach now. Hmm. Yeah. haven't talked about this in a long time with anyone. Um, So I'm from North Carolina. I didn't start playing until probably eight years old, which is fairly late compared to most people. Um, But... I mean, I really fell in love with the game in 98, France 98 World Cup, like Ronaldo. He was my idol. So, you know, from 10 years old, that's that's when I really started falling into it. I'd say by, for sure by 12, like that's when I was, I was with a ball five, six plus hours a day, every single day. In the backyard right after school, going to club practice, you know, then coming inside, eating dinner and watching soccer videos because we didn't have it on cable you know um but that was my life so growing up I I played you know competitive club I I played ODP um when I was 14 I I made the regional pool um for the southeast region broke my arm at region camp and that was that was a very pivotal moment in my career because that was the first time in my mind um, I'd ever had a setback you know I made every team I'd ever tried out for and uh, that was the first setback that I had. So I came home. I was on my way to national team camp at that point, but I couldn't go. So that was the end of my journey that year. Um, so that was seventh grade. Uh, that year I had actually gone to France as well, and the national team coach for my age group went with us. And uh, and I played really well. I think that's also what helped me get onto the regional you know, pool, even though I broke my arm halfway into camp because he'd seen what I could do. But anyways... Uh, the following year, you know, it was just club and then go back to region camp the next summer. And, and the next summer was the first time I actually, I didn't make it. So that was the first time I'd ever been cut from anything. And that was even harder. Um, so anyways, I, you know, I did ODP pretty much from 12, 13 all the way until you couldn't really do it anymore. And then uh, I bounced around a lot in high school. I was chasing a state championship in high school. So my the town I grew up in is a small town, Trinity, North Carolina. And, you know, our our high school team, it, it wasn't anything to write home about. We had good players, but the coaching 
was less than impressive. They always kind of rode the coattails of good players. So I remember I was the first freshman to make uh, Trinity High School varsity in, I don't know, a long time. And people would tell me, oh, you're so lucky to make varsity. Like, you should be thankful for that and blah, blah, blah. And I just always kind of looked at that and would respond like, well, why am I lucky? Like, I, I don't really see anything about this that that makes me feel like I this was a gift, like I've earned it, you know? So anyways, I ended up quitting the team that year um, four or five games into the season because I just didn't feel like I was developing and I could focus my time elsewhere with club. So my freshman year, I left Trinity. My sophomore year, I was going to transfer to a local, not local, it was in a different county, but where all of my club teammates played, uh, High Point Central. I wanted to transfer there. The only way to do that was by being in the International Baccalaureate Program, which is ironically what Northfield has. Um, but I did not withdraw from Trinity in time, and basically I didn't enroll in High Point Central soon enough. So by the end of the year, I withdrew from Trinity, but I wasn't enrolled in High Point Central. So what do I do? I naturally convinced my mom to let me be homeschooled my sophomore year, even though she worked and my dad worked too. And I had a neighbor friend who was homeschooled. So I totally took advantage of the system and played soccer all day, every day. I really didn't learn a lot. I mean, he was a goalkeeper. I just <laughs> I, <laughs> I just shot on him all day. It was brilliant. Oh, that's excellent. Um, if my mom listens to this podcast, she'll, she'll claim that she taught me a lot, but I really didn't learn much. So anyways, I say that because I left Trinity freshman year. Sophomore year, I had no high school team, just played club in the spring, did ODP. Junior year, I finally did transfer to High Point Central. We had a great team. We've made a... A uh, terrific run, but we ended up losing in the fourth round of the playoffs. I thought my world had come to an end because, I mean, we really had a good team. Um, but it just wasn't meant to be. And uh, so then after that, I'm, most of my teammates are graduating because I was, um, I guess, old for my class, but I was I was young um, on my club team. So they all graduated, and I still have one more year of school. So um, I was considering going down to Tuichi in Bolivia. That was one approach. I thought maybe I'll go to Bradenton Academy, but it was so expensive. And I wasn't in the U-17, so I couldn't just, you know, go down there for that. And um, I don't remember how it happened, but I got connected with the coach at, at Wesleyan Academy in High Point. And I had to proactively reach out to him because he wouldn't, like, recruit because you can't recruit. But once I reached out to him, he was all about, you know, then continuing with the process. So anyways... I ended up going to Wesleyan Academy my senior year. So four different schools, theoretically, in four years of high school. But uh, Wesleyan really transformed just how I view the game because it had always been an idol for me. I mean, Ronaldo was like my god growing up. I grew up in a Christian home and stuff, but Ronaldo was like my idol. Um, but when I got to Wesleyan, he really sort of just shifted the way I viewed things. Um, and it was really instrumental in, in how I coach now, even, because a lot of it is, um, you know, from what I learned there. But, you know, things like seniors serving the freshmen, you know, like leading by example. Uh, he, he would ask me questions like, you know, what if, what if, you know, God asked, it was a Christian school, so there were things like this, but, you know, if God wanted you to give up the game, like, could you do it? Would you do it? Things like that, that really sort of just struck home sometimes for me. And at the end of it all, it, it really just came down to the ball belongs at his feet, at the foot of the cross. So 
meaning it's secondary. If you kind of let it go and don't let it define you and be your identity, it's so much more enjoyable. And that's that's really helped me um, as I move forward in my career, just sort of letting go of the game a little bit, not putting so much stock in my last performance, um, and just kind of moving on, you know? So anyways, from there, I ended up going to, uh, well, we won a state championship. I can't leave that off. I was chasing it for four years, and we finally got it my senior year. It was awesome. One nil, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I was All-State that year, uh, Conference Player of the Year. I think I was Regional Player of the Year. I didn't get All-State Player of the Year or anything like that. Um, and I got, like, All-American for, like, the Independent Schools Association or something. Um, so, anyways, I graduated. I... I was planning on going to UNC Wilmington originally. They'd been recruiting me since like my sophomore year, um, but kind of led me on in the sense of we never talked about money until the very last minute. And then when that conversation came around, it was kind of a bait and switch of, oh, well, we don't have any money. So I, I, I was offended by that. Um, and I just said, I'm out. And so I then had to recruit myself at the last, the last minute, basically. Um, and so Coastal Carolina had been a school that, uh, and if you want me to move on, just let me know, Seb. But no, just keep going, no. Coastal Carolina had always been a school that I'd watch because they'd come into town, and they had a phenomenal history of players. Um, they recruited a lot out of Africa, Zimbabwe uh, specifically. And so they just had a really nice style of play. So anyways, I reached out to Sean Docking. He had been my regional coach with ODP, and he remembered me. So I had to recruit myself. So I ended up going to Coastal my freshman year. Um, at that time, the program, it was going through some, some growing pains, if you will. It's a phenomenal program now, um, but it was going through some changes. So, you know, me and most of my freshman class ended up transferring out after that year. Uh, I think nine or ten of the 14 ended up leaving. But I ended up transferring to Campbell University. Had a good career there. We, uh, we won the league, I think, all three times. No, my junior and senior year, we won the league. We won the conference tournament my sophomore year, um, and we were actually undefeated my junior year, so we were 9-0 and in league. So we won either the conference tournament or the league every single year, and we made the big dance in, uh, in my sophomore year. Um, you know, when I wrapped up at Campbell, I had a few injuries. I had torn my shoulder, and then I had a, a broken wrist as well. And so I just decided I didn't really want to play anymore. And... Um, I had already actually booked a trip to to Africa. So this is summer 2010. And this is important because it ties into how I got into coaching and stuff. But uh, I went to Africa with, with two of my two of my friends. We, we planned this trip for six months. We started planning it in December of, of 20, or 2009. And May 2010, we flew out to Johannesburg, went and saw the World Cup for, I don't know, a week. We were in Cape Town. And then we flipped Angola. And we did that for a few weeks. Uh, we were basically just doing a ministry soccer camps in like you know rural villages and things like that. But when I came back from that trip, so after two months, it's August of 2010. I came back and I'm just looking for a job, and nobody's hiring now. I've got a business degree, but you know no one's hiring. So a buddy of mine down in Charlotte, North Carolina, asked me if I wanted to help him out with a high school team. It was a private school down there, and. Uh, I said, sure, I have nothing else going on. And that's about an hour and a half from where my parents live. So so I ended up going down there. I literally jerry-rigged the back of my car. 
I, I put shoe boxes back there. I create like shelves. Like I literally lived out of my car. And uh, he was married, so I didn't want to wear out my welcome. So I would, you know, sleep in their little apartment two or three nights a week and then go to my other friend's house two or three nights a week. And I did that for about three months while I coached down there. When that season wrapped up, I got the offer to move up to Johnson City, Tennessee and coach at Milligan College. It's a small private school. And so I became the assistant there. I did that for a year. It was a great experience. I got to run most of the sessions. I got to basically do all the stuff that most assistants don't get to do. Um, you know, normally they're doing all the paperwork and setting up the games. And, you know, I don't frankly know because I didn't have to do a lot of that stuff. But the head coach, he preferred just to take care of the admin and let me be on the field and working with the players and doing individual stuff in the spring and tactical stuff in the fall and watching recruiting film and all that. So that's what I did. Um, and, and I was always playing with the guys, you know, because I was still young. I was still fit. Like I, I could carry myself. So I'd play with the guys. So I did that from 2011 to 2012. In 2012, I took over uh, a D2 assistant coaching job at Tusculum College. It was right down the road. And, uh, you know, 40 minutes up the street. So, so I did that. And me and the coach, we, we just ended up kind of having a different philosophy on the game, if you will. So I took over that in March of 2012. That summer, I moved to West Virginia. I still had the job at Tusculum, but I had already committed to being an assistant coach for a PDL team. It was a startup franchise called the West Virginia Kings Warriors. So I moved up to West Virginia, and I was the assistant there for that summer. But I also jumped in and, and played some. I didn't expect to play, but we had some injuries and just some needs. And, and the head coach, who actually was my high school coach, that's how I got that gig. He knew me and said, hey, I'm building out a staff. Do you want to come join me? And I'd really been focusing on my licensure at this point. I'd gotten my C license. I'd gotten my national diploma. I was, you know, young and climbing the ranks there. Um, so anyways, I did that that summer. And when I went back to Tusculum that fall, and the head coach and I just had a falling out for lack of agreement on many things. Um, I had gotten a letter from the MISL, the Major Indoor Soccer League, to go to a combine out in Kansas City. So I just decided it was you know, maybe good timing. I've just quit this job. I don't really have anything else to do. So maybe I'll just lace back up and, and focus on this again. So I did, I went out for probably about a month and just, I went to the track in the morning. I'm doing 400s, 800s, all the kind of foundational stuff. And then I'd go out to the field in the afternoon, just train on my own, flew out to Kansas city, did well, you know, they did like a whole all-star team. And I made that. And actually during that training camp, it was a three-day camp our team actually, we didn't lose any games, and we played three, four games a day. We were the only team that just ran the table, basically. And, you know, to the victor go the spoils, most of us got picked up by a team. So I got picked up by Baltimore, uh, the Blast. and Indoor, was, just to be Yeah, it's, clear. In, it's indoor. I'd never played formal indoor in my life. Um, so it was a totally different game than futsal, right? Um, very physical, very... I guess tactical, you could say, because um, you're in and you're out. But, um, you know, I went up to the, the blast training camp a couple weeks later. And, uh, yeah, I, I can say I've never been fitter in my life, probably. Um, but, yeah, I did that for, you know, a few weeks and uh, ended up getting called into the coach's office one day and, you know, was told that, you know, we've got a lot of veterans in your position and we want to keep you around, but, you know, we can't pay you, that kind of thing. 
So at that point, I just decided, you know what, like, it was a good run, but I'm headed home. So I guess that's where, I guess maybe the break happened and I came out to Colorado. I moved home. That's a long story in and of itself, but I ended up moving home for a few weeks, decided what am I doing with my life, packed up my bags, drove out to Colorado through a lot of random coincidences, um, got a job in the Rapids Academy, and that's what led to the parent text, to Northfield, to here we are. Okay, well then, uh, I learned a few things. I didn't know you were actually involved in national team pool at, at one point in a regional pool. I think that's that's fun. I didn't, I didn't know that. And uh, just one person I want to make sure you give a shout out to. Who's your Wesleyan coach? Scott Reitenauer, the man, the myth, the legend. All right, and so I, 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 I've heard you talk a lot about, yeah, just some a lot of the things that you've brought to the program, the things that I saw you do over the course of this year. A lot of them, you, you sort of mentioned how you picked them up from, from him, and you know, I, I think it's so important for anyone who's a coach to remember, like you need mentors in this, and you need to learn from people, and if you're a player. Uh, start picking up these tools because they're also lessons for life. And I think the best coaches do that really, really well. And we will get into that because I think that's just such a huge part of why Northfield high school boys soccer team went 20 and 0 this fall season to win state, even having been a school for only seven years. And we'll get into some of the amazing milestones that happened this season. Uh, but, and that's kind of why, like, I see this as just a, a a really, really good sort of playbook for anyone who's like, I want to do something, you know, impactful and real for my teams and my school and the institution that I'm in. How do I make that happen? So now let's move on to the actual soccer program, right? So you get the job, a uh, few things for anyone, Northfield High School, is really in a brand new area of Denver. If you know of someone who's local like me remembers when there was literally nothing there about 15 years ago, um, except everything was sort of in the shadow of Dick Sporting Goods Park, which is, by the way, a quarter of a mile away, yeah. something like that, just down the road. Um, you can pretty much you can pretty much see the stadium and the school from from each other, right? Um, and that. That area, it was also developing in terms of housing. I mean, it's turned into, it's just boomed. And the Stapleton area, once again, for anyone who, who's not aware, this is where the, uh, the airport of Denver, the Denver's airport, International Airport, was in that neighborhood. So all that space and everything was basically runways, um, that everything that's on the south side of the highway was just runways and airport. Everything on the north side was more or less open space. Uh, that was a long time ago. Right? And so now you get to this point where this school's being built. You're told you're going to be the coach. The school is literally not yet built when, when you've been hired. No, I'm looking at floor plans. Yeah. yeah. And most importantly, if the school's not built, obviously there's no field. And I'll take this to where you and I met. And I think it was 2017 – in the late summer, so early fall, early season for at you, Dick's. early season for me, we were at Dick's, and I had my U13 06s out there. And 
you were finishing up a session with the high school boys and I was pretty much waiting for you to be done so that I could take the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where we met. And we didn't see each other again for quite a few years. We'll get into that later. But I remember seeing this and going, this is cool, you know. Oh, it's Northfield. And I knew I had a couple players in the team who would be going to Northfield. And so I was, you know, just excited. I was like, oh, I've met this guy who I can sort of funnel players his way. And I, I, it was just, it was a cool thing to initially meet you. But I also saw just a really small group of players, you know, nothing big. Uh, not what you would imagine to be like a high school program that's like serious. So at this point, you were still very much developing. Yeah. Um, let's talk about from the very beginning. So you get... You know, you start doing those futsal sessions or those pickup sessions and everything. Finally, <laughs> camp and tryout week is coming. What do your numbers look like that first year? <laughs> oh, man. Well, if you've seen the movie The Bad News Bears, it was a carbon copy of that. We had, I don't know initially, but we ended up with 16 players that first year, five of whom had played soccer before. I remember doing. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, I remember doing, like, at the end of some practices, just fun little relay races, you know. And I had one or two kids who literally couldn't even run in a straight line. Like, they'd end up going totally to the side instead of just finishing through the cones. Like, just crazy stuff like that when you start thinking about the types of athletes that we had. But, yeah, we had no field. And since it was an innovative school, they had a late start, so I think they started at like 9 or 9.30, so they're getting out at like 4.15, 4.30. I work down in Glendale, so, you know, half an hour away. So since we had no field, I had to drive up to the school, hop on an activity bus. That bus would take us to a field. Uh, we'd get there, you know, by 5.30, 5.45. I'm scrambling to set up because we only have so much daylight. And uh, the field that we most often were at was – uh, Isabella Bird. It's literally just a field in a neighborhood. And we had little four foot by four foot goals. That's it. We had no normal size goals. We didn't have a proper training, you know, environment. But then again, the team that we had, it was fitting for. Um, and some days we were at Dick's. Some days we were at Dick's. Some days we were at Isabella Bird. I remember there was one practice, and I don't know why right now, but we had nowhere to go. So what do we do? We take one of those little strips of grass in the middle of the two streets of the neighborhood in Stapleton. It's, you know, maybe 15 yards wide by how uh, infinitely long. And we're just, we're practicing there in the middle of a neighborhood between two streets on a patch of grass. Practicing and um, trading in a median. A, this me- is, a median, yeah. You know, but th- th- this is, this is good. This is, these are real humble beginnings, right? <laughs> this is... If any, I mean, imagine this. No, I mean, because this is important. Again, people who have played in the game, especially at a high level, a lot of them just don't think that they should have to go through that um, and should have to really just get in the dust bowl with players that can't play. Um, I, I, I think it's so, again, it goes back to you deciding to do the 1v1 or just Corver work with Gabe. Here you are saying, yes, we are going to make this work even here. Once again, a situation where most coaches be like, guys, we don't have a space. I'll work on a space. We'll see if we can go somewhere tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Or just turn it into, okay, guys, let's just do laps around the neighborhood and run because I don't know what else to do. Yeah. The, the, these are important things for any coach. Like you, you have the control 
And if you show the dedication that you're like, I don't care what the situation is, we're training. And I'm going to do the best I can with the space. That goes a really long way. More than anything, to condition yourself that that's possible. Because it's so easy to condition yourself to thinking, if I don't have the right environment, what's the point anyway? It, It really isn't difficult to start thinking that way. So, you know, I just think that that's a, an important, another important action piece. Like, you're training in a median. Yeah. <laughs> with a high school team. I mean, it is a high school team. Yeah. Even though, at this point, it was a C team, correct? It, we were a C team that first year. Um, all games were C team with a couple JV games sprinkled in. Our first game, we played, it was a scrimmage. We played at North High School against Durango. And I remember we lost 10 to nothing, mercy ruled. But during that game, my eyes were open to what I was actually dealing with. I, I remember I put one of my, I attempted to put one of my subs in at striker, and he asked me, what's that? And oh then when I told him, when I explained what striker meant and where it would be, you know, I told him to go to midfield, and he said, where's that? <laughs> so I was immediately like, oh, man, what have I gotten myself into uh, but, you know, back to training, there, this is funny. The bus drivers would always require a chaperone on the bus. So I, so I had to drive to the school to get on a bus, to go to a field, to scramble to set up, you know. But there was one, one day the bus driver told me, oh, no, you don't need to do this. I'll just I'll bring them to the field so you can get there and set up. So I was like, oh, that's terrific. That will help so much. So what do I do? I leave work. I go to the field. I'm setting up. I get everything perfectly laid out like I want it. And then I get a call from one of my players. Hey, uh, coach, the, the bus driver won't leave the school unless you're on the bus. And I'm like, what? And so then they put me on the phone with the bus driver. It's a different bus driver. We had a different driver every day. And they all had a different perspective. So what do I do? I have to leave my stuff at the field, drive back up to the school, which was about 15 minutes from the field, to get on the bus, to come back to the field, to have a session, to get back on the bus, to go back to the school, to get back in my car. It was just a a nightmare. But that's the kind of stuff that I dealt with every day that first year, only to lose games 10-0, to play C teams, to one Saturday we rolled up to a school to play our opponent. So, you know, I leave my house on a Saturday morning, drive up to the school, get on the bus, we drive to a school, and there's no game. There's no opponent because my AD never scheduled it even though it was on my schedule. Um, You know, that's an important variable that most people don't know. But our principal that first year, I I don't know who actually knows the, the deal behind it, but he had some kind of vendetta against athletes that kind of bubbled to the surface later on. But no one knew this in the beginning. So, you know, two months into the school year, he ends up getting fired. And it turns out the AD at that time, she was brought in by him, but she was a former HR person. She'd never been an athletic director. So the support in-house was non-existent. I think the AD actually, when she ordered equipment that year, she ordered like 100 medicine balls. Like, Like she ordered stuff that we just didn't need. And it's kind of become a joke for those of us who have been around since day one. Um, but, but yeah, that first year, it was just... It was incredible, and we just had to find the wins along the way. And for me, the wins were, can I keep all of these players in the program? Like, can I keep them motivated and and keep them on board from start to finish? And we did. 
Uh, we had one player transfer because his brother played at East. He was our goalkeeper, and he was very good, actually. Um, but he ended up transferring to East just, you know, for logistical purposes, I guess. But aside from that, no one actually quit. Everyone stayed on board. Um, what was the record at the end of that season? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. We played. I know we played South's C team probably three or four times. We played East's, like, third or fourth C team. I don't know. They have multiple teams, you know, um, or third or fourth team several times. We were probably maybe 30% wins that season against JV and C teams, you know. Um, but but for me personally, the challenge that season was keeping both sides motivated. So, you know, I remember when we were playing at South in particular, it might have been our first day at South. I remember pulling in Gabe and Cameron and Adam yeah, and, a hand, and, and Carson, a couple of guys who, you know, had played before and just level setting with, with them. Like, guys, look, I get it. I know how you feel. You feel like it's five on 11 right now, but how can you respond? You know, and I, and I don't remember everything that I said, but the, the main part was that coach isn't pretending that this situation isn't present. Like I get it guys. I know how you feel. I see it, but there's nothing that we can do about it other than figure out how to get through it. Right. And I think that that went a long way with them of, Hey, coach understands. And so then for the other, you know, 13 guys, 12 guys, whatever it may be, how do I keep them motivated, you know? I didn't want them to feel like they weren't any good or they didn't matter. So I had to find ways to keep both ends of the spectrum totally bought in the whole season. And that was the unique sort of driver for me because it it was a unique challenge. I'd coached collegiately. I'd coached high-level club. I'd never coached something like this before. So that was my own sort of growth, I think, that season as a coach. Well, and again, that's huge because I think most people, not necessarily in your first coaching job, but at some point in your coaching career, no matter how high of a level you got to, you've got to spend a little bit of time in the muck, I think. Okay, if you were Steven Gerrard, I don't think you're going to take over some, you know, little neighborhood club team with kids that can't play. You're not going to go do the big green thing, but... I, I just think that's important because it's a huge it, it is a huge thing to keep in mind for where the program got to now and the level of the players that were on the team this season. It's I mean, night and day I don't even think is really the correct metaphor for how massive of a difference it is. Yeah. So that first season, C team, uh were you a C team in the second season as well? No. So it gets scheduled in two year cycles. So the next year um, DPS. Yeah, at the time, in my naivety, I, I wanted us to be varsity. We're going to learn tough lessons and we're going to progress quicker, you know. But DPS, they were like, no, you will be a JV team for the next two years. And in hindsight, I'm thankful for that. Uh, I don't remember our record that second year, but I look at that second year as kind of the framing of the program in some ways. The, the first year was just figuring out the mess. The second year was giving it some kind of shape because we didn't have any new players come in. What I mean by that is the principal got fired the first year. The AD quit. Parents didn't want to send their kids to the school. So we had no freshman class. We did have a few new players join who were, you know, sophomores at the school, but we were only sophomores that second year. And we were playing JV games. We won some. You know, we probably lost as many or maybe more than we won. Um, but we were now winning JV games that year. 
physically they'd grown a little bit, but also they were just learning how to play. Um, I think that second season, I, I probably remember a little less than any other season. Um, but I do know that, that that's kind of where we started taking shape. We had a, a new AD again um, that year. Andy stuck around with me. And, and Peter Bunting was around as well. And, and one thing I didn't mention was, the f- just like we have the formation of the team, but the formation of the coaching staff. I mentioned Andy. I never mentioned Peter. So just a quick step back. Peter was walking out to get his mail one day when we were training that first year, and he sees this group of ragtag boys out there training. He's like, well, this doesn't look like an elementary school because we were on an elementary school field, you know. And so he just kind of, I don't know, maybe shouted over the fence, like, what's going on here? And, you know, I moseyed over and we started chatting, and I quickly realized, like, he knew the game. And so I just, as I always have, even with you, Sebastian, when I find people who know the game, who are good people, I just welcomed him with open arms. And I said, dude, you can come out anytime you want. And he started coming out maybe once or twice a week throughout the season. But he became a mainstay in the program alongside Andy from, Peter, from there on out. Peter had the, the girls' job for a, a while. He took the girls' job after um, – it was after, I think, 16-17 or maybe 17-18 when the AD at Northfield found out that the, the girls' coach was actually coaching two high school programs. He, oh my he goodness. was coaching another high school up north and letting his assistant run practices at Northfield. Oh, wow. And when the AD found out, he got laid off, and Double then Pete dipping. came in and took the job. Wow. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> goodness. So, then, so it's two seasons as a JV team. Yep. And I know, I know we, we were at the banquet uh, this past week, and I remember you going through the sort of records every season. And what it really is – growth every year there's improvement clear you know clear difference in wins wins versus losses every single season and then at the end of that season where you're you you finish up being a jv team and you know now this next year i've got a we're going to be playing varsity teams and i can build a varsity team and that class that came in were our seniors this year correct Mm -hmm. yep okay so this is the moment from what I gather that you saw some kids come out and play at pickup or at futsal and you were like, oh, now we might be turning a little bit of a corner. So is that is that a fair thing to say that after once you knew, okay, we're varsity team this year, I'm excited, and then you saw the players and you were like, I've got something. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, when we finished the 17-18 season, so the third year, we were 12-1-1. Our last game of the season, we had played against DSST Stapleton. And I just treated it like a playoff game. It was our last game, and they were a good team. They were in the playoffs for 3A. And I remember, you know, pregame and everything, I just treated it exactly like a playoff game. And we actually went went out, and we won that game 3-2, to two, I believe, at Northfield. And that's how we finished the season. And so for me, coming off of that win, I saw what we were capable of. But heading into the following year, my fourth year, I had countless conversations, like I do with you now, but with Andy then, just of kind of being tired, and I committed to four years, I'm going to see it out for four years, but I just don't know, like, do I want to, do I want to re-up, do I want to do this again, 
And I'd always said it would take seven or eight years. That's always what I've said. For anything meaningful to be done, it would take seven or eight years. Well, finishing up that third year and then going into the winter, we always did futsal. We always have and we always will. Um, And we had a group come in. And, yeah, that that was the moment. I remember when they came in. Uh, you know, I saw Ian and Beckham and Julian and uh, I can't I can't remember Char- Charlie Edinger. He'd been coming forever uh, since like sixth grade. His his sister actually dated one of my original seniors, so he had been coming since like sixth grade. But anyways, we had this whole new group of, uh, of talent come in, and I thought, man, like when they're juniors and seniors, we're going to be able to do something special. So yeah, that for me that that was the moment, I guess. And then that's when I decided, you know what? I didn't decide it right then. It was it was late that spring even, like coming into the following fall whether, when I was on the fence if I'm in or I'm out or I'm in or I'm out. And then eventually I just said, you know what, I'm doing this. I'm sticking it out for another three, four years for sure. Um, see what we can do. And um, wrapped up with winning a state title and going 20-0 <laughs> in a season. So, yeah. so those guys, um, and I want to note one of the cool connections here is I coach at Rapids Youth Soccer Club, so not part of the Professional Organization Development Academy. But the amount of kids that I see and I coach that go straight into Northfield, whether it's the boys or the girls' side, I mean, Rapids really is one of the two or three clubs that operates in the backyard of Northfield High School. So you got to see a bunch of kids, Rapids kids. Now, one thing I've I've been wanting to dive at with you is that You've had kids from a lot of them from Rapids, and then some from other program, or some from other clubs around state. Now, remove the kids that are like the top level ones, like say Jack Freeman on ECNL or, or you know Real DA or whatever. Um, players from that club in particular, have you noticed a difference in the way they play? Because look, being a Rapids coach, I know especially when those guys were 12, 13, there was a very strong ethos for how the club played. We, you know, very much possession-based, collective possession to advance. Mm-hmm. We did we we build out from the back. Re, I mean, religiously, it was like yeah. if you were a coach and your directors came out and they saw your keeper punting balls and kicking them long off goal kicks, you were literally told, "Hey, that's not what we do. That's not we don't want our teams out here doing that." So, do you feel there is there was kind of a difference? We were like, "Man, these are like pretty cultured players with some talent." And was did you notice a difference between some of the kids from Rapids that came or kids from other clubs? Um, I didn't notice that much of a distinct difference because most of our players – well, and also there's, there's the distinction to draw from the original class to this group. Um, with this group, most of them – I mean, they, they played. They played the game the right way for the most part. We didn't have that many non-Rapids – Originally, because Jack Freeman did not come in his freshman year. He came in as a sophomore. Right, right. Um, but like Moises, for instance, I mean, he's a cold-blooded striker. So I didn't really ever think about, oh, is he playing out of the back correctly, you know? But he came from another club. He was with Rocky Mountain Cougars at the time. He wasn't always, you know, with, with the Rapids. So, no, I, I didn't really notice that um, in particular because I started that build-out with the first group. You know, I, I started trying to play the right way, even though realistically, we probably could have had a few more <laughs> results that swung our way had we just gone for results. Because, you know, it's like trying to play out like Barcelona, but you just can't. You're going to give the ball away. You're going to concede goals. 
Um, but I just stuck to that. So by the time this new group came in in 2018, it was just the way that we were doing it. I mean, we were playing a 2-3-2-3 at the time, you know, which I, I remember, the side note, but I remember talking to Regis's coach when we first played Regis Groff. He was like, I've, I've never seen a high school team do that. That's awesome that you're playing a 2-3-2-3. And I was impressed that he picked up on that at the time, you know. Yeah, so anyways, totally. you know, coaches, I, I, I didn't notice it. Yeah. Um, okay, so those boys – they come in as freshmen, and for th- two seasons, right, their freshman sophomore year, they, they sh- as you told me, they, they showed a lot of talent. They showed great, great ability to stay in games against, you know, good big varsity programs and push them to the limit, but with very little fortune mm-hmm. and results definitely not going their way. Uh, in those first two years, I think you mentioned a game where you guys were winning 2 nothing against East, who, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, East and Northfield, massive rivalry has built up in just a short time uh, between the schools. And you guys are up 2 nothing against East with, what, five minutes to play? And you end seven. up seven minutes to play. Moise gets a red card. They score. Then they get another one late. And then they beat you in overtime. Yep. And this was, as you said – a theme. I mean, the amount of times you guys threw away leads, went into overtime, and lost games, it was uh, common yeah, and crushing probably for the boys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go- and going into that game, the context is important too. Just before that game, uh, we had played Regis Groff. So, so we started our season their sophomore year 4-1. Uh, and one. We lost to Mullen late. I mean – they scored with 30 seconds left in the game, so it might as well have been an overtime loss. But anyways, okay, we moved on from there. We played our first league game against Regis at All City, neutral site, and uh, and we lost that game. I don't remember my thoughts coming out of the game, but I do remember getting off the bus. I get back to the school, and then I have a parent tip me off on some sort of social media bullying that was going on. And without going into all the details, it was a hard reset for our program, for the culture, the next day. And me and Peter and my AD, he came in just to support everything that I was doing. We met with, I met with the individuals, I met with the group as a whole, I then met with the kind of the sophomore leaders and maybe one of the juniors at that time um, and just had a conversation with them. And coming out of that, they knew, guys, we're about to run a lot. And it wasn't necessarily punishment, but it was something that I felt like we just needed to bind us together at that time. Like we really needed to be unified. And so the running wasn't in and of itself for a set number of, you know, a certain time or repetitions or anything like that. It was, you know, we would basically do... I don't know, a lap or two laps around the field in a certain amount of time. But for every player who was over a set time, you had to have someone else be under a shorter time. And so really, you are only as strong as your weakest link. And and none of the boys were upset about it. I mean, a lot of the boys threw up. To this day, they say that that was the hardest thing that they've ever done. But... I explain that because they really did bond from that. And we headed into the East game coming off the, the tail of that. And going into the East game, yeah, now we're 2-0 up. We get a red card. We're 2-1. We're 2-2. Then we lose 3-2. And they're just sitting on the field absolutely gutted. 
because we've done all the right stuff. We've we've never given up on, you know, the team and the team as a family is what's most important above all else. Um, you know, two of our players, uh, one in particular who started, he was sitting in the stands against East. I didn't even let him dress. So, like, we took the measures we needed and we put the right priorities in place and we still almost got that result, but they were gutted. And I'll never forget just how, yeah, how gutted they were. Looking at them, putting my arm around them on the field, telling them it's going to be okay, like things will work out. And thankfully we had an easier opponent the next game going into Kennedy. Um, and, and we won that game. But, yeah, those are the types of games that we lost that season. Um, five of our seven games were in overtime. I can't recall them all, but I know East, TJ, you know, TJ, a kid came in off the bench. He didn't play hardly at all. He hits an upper 90 corner uh, shot with his left foot. Game over. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, those are the games we lost. The last game of the season, we lost at GW in double overtime. Again, another phenomenal strike. And this was with five freshmen starting that game. Five freshmen Either either three or four sophomores, and then the rest junior starting. Um, but that was the sophomore year, man. It, every single game was heartbreaking, and every single game I'm trying to figure out what do I need to tell the boys? Like, what do they need right now? I'm not going to give them fluff. If they if they need you know a stern talking to, I'll give it to them. If they need an arm around them, I'll give it to them. But what do they need? And by the end of that season. I was kind of running out, you know, because they've heard it before. It's like, yeah, coach, but when is it going to turn around? When are things going to get better? And so by the time we lost that last game, I did just told them, like, guys, you have learned more tough lessons than any other freshmen or sophomores I can think of in the country, for that matter. Um, and we're going we're gonna to be better for it next year. And I remember going home, and I just – I was gutted after that game. We all, all we needed, Seb, was one tie from our last four games that we would have made the playoffs. And we ended up getting like 33rd or something out of, you know, you need 32. So we got bumped out of the playoffs from losing our last four. And I remember going home after losing to GW, and I just typed out not a script but my thoughts. And, you know, I don't remember what all was said, but it was like, guys, remember this feeling put in the work, go to weights, blah, 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 do all these things. Don't party on a Friday night when you got to wake up and, and, you know, train the next morning or have a game. Like, focus on what you want and go after it. And I think that that was a, a big catalyst. That season was a catalyst for everything that we've accomplished. It wasn't the catalyst, but it was a big, big part of it. Yeah, and it's because you finish that season and you're getting – you're excited to, uh, you know, for the spring to go by and summer to come and just get everything going and get ready. But this season you're talking about is fall of 2019, isn't it? Yep. So for anyone who's been living under a rock for the last three years, COVID hit us all not too long after. And the entire year of 2020 sports was just a total wash. They didn't exist. This team of players didn't get to play just a, a normal regular season uh, in the fall that year. And for people who don't know, obviously a, a lot of the sports, what they did was they truncated the season. So you had 
boys and girls both going in the spring, meaning both seasons are basically uh, they overlap like, barely. It's like two thirds of the length. Yeah. Um, which is which then cuts down the amount of teams that go into playoffs, which then makes it, you know, the whole entire season is just a totally different setup. It's a different it's a different story. And at that time, uh, ju- well, just before that, just before COVID really hit in in the fall of 2019, I actually applied for the girls' job at Northfield. And you were on the panel, and you got to see me do what I do in interviews, which um, is very much be myself, kind of kind of what you guys all see uh, and hear on here. Um, and I, I I really, you know, put my best foot forward for that. I remember Adrian, the AD, calling me to let me know that I'd made it to the next round, and then I was doing the interview the next round, and somewhere during slash right towards the end of that second interview – I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I was like, there's, I, I don't, I'm taking on something massive and I don't know what it is. And because I've never had experience around a high school team or around a, a school program. And so I was like, I'm going into this totally green. And I know that there's people here who really will have my back, but I don't know if I know what I'm doing. And so when they told me that the job went to someone else, I was relieved. I remember Adrian telling me and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> And then about a week later, you got in touch with me and uh, asked me if I wanted to, you know, just be an extra set of eyes, an extra voice, just something else to bring. Now, I think about that and I'm like, huh, does, from, from what you just said, is does the fact that you sort of felt like you were running out of things to say to the players at the end of that sophomore season, did that kind of go into you being like, I got to get more eyes in here because if it as a coach it sucks to get to the point where you're like I don't know what else to say. I want to be inspirational and motivational and everything, but it's almost like saying nothing now might be better. And when you get to that point, now you wonder, you know, you start to doubt yourself a lot. Um I and I've been in that situation as a club coach, it's it's hard because I I can't really ask for help anywhere. Um it's much more difficult because I can't I'm not going to pay anybody and also you know, I have to go through the club and everything. So you making the decision to bring someone else in, um, did that also come with just the hardship specifically of the way that sophomore year ended for those group, the, those boys? No, not really. Um, so after that sophomore year, so Andy, my assistant, he had been doing JV, but he had made it clear that, you know, that – that time was done and he wasn't going to do JV anymore. And he's now taken over FC Denver as the head coach there. So during the transition from fall 19 through COVID, um, Andy had made it clear that he wasn't doing it anymore. And Peter had taken a job on the other side of the country. So both of my coaches had basically left. So Peter had connected me with Alberta, who used to be the head coach at West I sat down with Alberto a couple of times, and I trust Peter. Um, so just based on his recommendation alone, I, I brought Alberto on. And um, so then from there, yeah, I mean, it really was just a matter of I always appreciated having Andy as my assistant because we we have similar views on the game, but we see things within the game differently. He may pick up on things that are happening that I don't, maybe notice. And I trust him enough 
to hear his opinion and actually give it give it some value. And so that's what always worked for us. He'd say, hey, you need to take a look at this kid on JV. He's doing really well. So I would. Um, and I think that's the kind of dynamic you need. You need to have people that you trust. And uh, so anyways, when I heard you interview, I just thought you said a lot of things that I couldn't necessarily quantify or explain to, you know, Zeke, a basketball guy, or Adrian, a, a wrestling guy. But you knew your stuff. And I just felt like we aligned. So yeah, when I called you, it was really just not that, oh, I'm running out of things to say because I, I knew that we'd be just fine, but we could be better with someone else around who knows the game, who respects the game, who um, just kind of sees it similarly to I do. You're always learning. You're a student of the game. You're open to new ideas and concepts. It's not your way or the highway. You're relational. And I could pick up on all that just from hearing you talk in the interview. So yeah, that's really why I asked you to come out, and I had no expectations on it at all. I never dreamt that, you know, we'd even kind of work together as much as we have. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I think the cool part is out of this, I mean, you've for sure become one of my close friends in, in, this, in just this calendar year. And I mean, it helps what, what, we, what we went through. So now we get to the stage where of the program where I actually can speak on things uh, or, you know, I actually, from experience. I, I actually yeah. was around for some of this. So um, I'm going to give you a little bit my, my take on when I first showed up. When I, when I showed up to that first session in February, I remember the first thing I thought was bloody hell. This is, these guys are good. And I remember walking around during the session and being like, man, like I remember telling you at one point, because I think that first night we did 1v1s. With the trash cans. With the trash cans. And then the ones who were not going 1v1s with the trash cans were going 1v1s at the goal. Yep. There was that little 1v1 thing. And I can remember right now, Moises versus Eli. Hmm. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, Moises probably crushed him, right? Like, destroyed him. And I was massively impressed with the way that, that Moises could hit a ball. I was right away struck with that and his quality. But And I could tell he was... He just had this extra level of talent over Eli. But I was massively impressed with Eli as well. He's hitting balls with both feet, striking balls into the top corner, moving his feet really well, defending. And then I went over to you and was like, man, that kid Eli's good. And you're like, he's worked so hard. Like, he, I just won him on varsity because he just really puts in the effort. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I see the grit, but damn, the guy's got skill as well. <laughs> and it was it was amazing to me going around talking to you about the different players and what impressed me about a lot of them and stuff. And not that you were giving me the negative, but you were letting me know that these guys weren't necessarily, some of them don't really play much or some of them you weren't sure if you wanted to bring them on the team this year. And I'm sitting there going, man, this is an embarrassment of riches, <laughs> right? So it's funny. I just show up out of nowhere, totally green. And the first thing I see is a, a, an abundance of talent. And my first thought at the end of that practice, was, this team is good enough to win state. Like, the quality of players, it's rare to see, especially in the 4A, it's rare to see a team with this many clearly elite-level club players, Yep. right? Um, and then finding out that a lot of them are actually sophomores or juniors. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is going to be awesome. So I want to talk about the one thing that, you know, about the the one thing about that season or the first thing about that season I think is so interesting your competition leaderboard yeah 
okay? This is important for any coach out there who has this idea. Um, not that it's a bad one at all, because uh, I think it's a great one, but it didn't work. So what did you do? You you go go through the process of how you decided, I'm going to make this competition leaderboard and, and track everything. So explain that. Um, during the buildup, so probably from, I don't know, December through early February 2020, because the season started, or 2021, the season started early March, officially, like March 8th. During that buildup, I, I was listening to a lot of Anson Doran's podcasts, um, and I kind of rotate what I listen to, but I was listening to him at the time, and, you know, most soccer people out there will know that he's famous for this competitive cauldron that he does at UNC. And after listening to, to Dorrance, I, I realized that years ago at, at one of my previous jobs, I had reached out to a coach out in California and we built up a relationship and he actually sent me over a copy of the competitive cauldron. So I actually had this in my, my Google Drive somewhere. So I pulled it up and started looking at it and trying to figure out how this whole point system works. And once I sort of wrapped my head around it, I, I started creating my own systems. I started so, so for those who don't know, you literally track everything. You From first to last, you assign a point value, and you can assign like a point a multiplier based on the type of activity. So if you want individual challenges to count to have heavier weighting, then you can weight the score so they get more points. So I really thought through this a lot. I spent a lot of time creating individual challenges, team challenges. Um, I think I had the individual challenges count for the most and team challenges count for the the least um, because they don't have as much influence, you know. But anyways, that so I came to this conclusion that this competitive cauldron is what we need. Um, You know, Andy always used to tell me that I don't know if he's right or wrong because it's always adaptive, but man, you, I think you need to just do more competitive things in training because you, we do so much pattern play. We do so much technical stuff. Like I think you need to do more just – they need to compete. They need to battle. They need to learn how to win. So I kind of took that to the extreme of like, you know what? We have the players. Yeah, maybe that's the edge. We, ju- we need to be competing every day and figuring out how to win in whatever scenario. We'd done enough ground, you know, groundwork by then, so why not? So that's really when I just decided let's focus on this competitive cauldron. We've got more or less two players in every position. I can kind of pit them up against each other every day in training, and then and then there's some empirical data on why one person's playing over the other, and it's less about well, coach, why am I not playing? And it's pretty straightforward. And also, I was looking at it like we have so many good players, you could have a great game, but now if you're not pulling it in training, you might not get the nod the next game because someone else is day in, day out, and the way you train is the way you play. So I thought that there was just a lot of good reasons behind why it made sense. Not to mention, you know, I think I didn't even finish my sentence earlier, but as iron sharpens iron, so one man starts, uh, so one man sharpens another. That's the saying on the back of our shirts. And uh, that speaks to exactly what the intent of the competitive cauldron is. If I'm pushing you to be better because I'm training hard on my own and I'm showing up for the fitness tests ready to push you, 
and if you're doing the same thing, then you're showing up ready to push me, then what's going to happen is we're going to push each other. You know, we're, we're essentially, as I told the boys, our blades are going together and they're actually like sharpening each other um, as they get hotter, right? So anyways, that's why I decided to do that. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah. I want to interject real quick because I remember while that was going on in those first couple weeks when you were doing it and you and I would talk on the phone about it, I remember telling you, you know, man, I remember I saw Emma Hayes. This is the Chelsea ladies, uh, Chelsea women's coach. I saw her do a session in Los Angeles at the convention that I went to, the United Soccer Coaches Convention. And at one point, she she, she had the UCLA women's team that she was doing a session with, like top quality players. And at one point early in the activity, she stops it and says, you're not pressing hard enough. Mm. You need to press with more intensity to force your teammates to build out in this three-zone game better. You have to push You have to push them to be better. That's the only way that everyone gets better. And then I was telling you, you know, it's kind of crazy because I've just been reading about what the Chelsea women's like team vibe is like because they were going, they were on an unbelievable run of, of wins and everything and, uh, in the spring. And, um, and I was just like, Yo, dude, Sam Kerr, uh, shout out to Sam Kerr, by the way, who scored a hat trick today against Birmingham City. But she, um, she, she said, you know, our training games are almost more, in, there's almost more at stake in our training games than there are in the real matches on the weekend. Like bragging rights are out there and they mean a lot. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting. I was like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> Turns out uh, these high school boys did not react to it well. Um, I found out this season through the grapevine of, you know, a girl that I coached who goes to Northfield, who has friends on the boys' team, whose little sister I currently coach, she just kind of told me, oh, yeah, I talked to Chance. And, you know, Chance, no, no, uh, not trying to throw you under the bus here, but uh, no, yeah. <laughs> Basically, like, that, all the players hated it. And it got to the point where you're updating this thing every day, and they're not, they have decided as a group, we don't want to even look at I'm this. I'm spending anymore. like 30 minutes a night after training just getting it updated accurately. And, <laughs> and it's amazing because the intention you had, I think, was just exactly right. And the fact that you explained it to them, you know, you did let them know this is about transparency, this is about us, you know, really working each other to get better. But somewhere in there, it, for maybe this just group of players specifically or whatever, some people may call it a generational thing, but like it, it kind of, kind of, maybe in the short term, because I don't think in the long term, but in the short term, it seemed to kind of backfire. And the team went through a full blown identity crisis before spring break. Yeah. Um, and which came at a perfect time because the team went through an identity crisis a fair few players, their families planned spring break trips, which were during the season, and this is a six-week season. So you're leaving for a week or two during a six-week season. you know. And now we've got an identity crisis. We're trying to figure out how to get everybody competitive and on the same page. That moment, from my perspective of this ride, That's was the catalyst. huge. This was, this was, this was the big – this to me from – like and knowing having listened to you tell this story to me before you know from start to finish 
there are a few clear just markers yeah. that were changing points. Obviously, one one of the big ones was that freshman class, the guys that are seniors that were that are seniors now, seeing them and realizing, oh my God, I, I could really stick around, like. I could be a part of when this school does something meaningful because I'm looking at the kids who are going to be that right now. That's a turning point, right? Um, there are turning points along the way from, yeah, from my perspective, this one was huge. And I was there watching it happen in a way. So talk about that because it's, you know, identity crises <laughs> with groups. If you've ever coached, you know what they're like and they feel like the end. A lot of the time, they feel like uh, this is as far as I can take this. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened? Like, what do you think caused the identity crisis? Do you think? And what do you think? And, and like, yeah, just overall, what happened in there? And w- until the moment we pivoted. Um. Well, there was a lot going on at that time. So, at the start of the season, we won our first game. It wasn't a challenge. And we didn't learn anything from it. And it was Lincoln, right? It was Lincoln, yeah. And I videotaped that. Seven no, to one. I, I quote unquote videotaped that game. This is one of my fine moments upon entry at Northfield. I stand there on the sidelines on that track <laughs> with the camera for the entire game. And all I got was halftime and the very end. <laughs> I remember Zach coming up to me like, yo, did you get my goal? And at the end, I was like, guys, I just totally screwed up. And Wait, how did we game. get the footage? We had it. We had another camera set up. Someone or? else, someone else had a camera uh, <laughs> that they were just video. Someone else was just videotaping, kind of for fun. Oh, that's hilarious! Um, and and so this is how I ingratiate myself into the group, right? I come yeah. in, I'm, no one knows who I am. They know that I coach some of the younger kids, and I'm a U13, U14. You coach had one job. <laughs> I had one job that day. I show up. Uh, there was a woman having a full-blown psychotic attack oh, on the man. on the sidewalk behind me, just taking her clothes off in the snow. I mean, yeah. it was it was just a bizarre game, and I felt like I just totally blew it with the players. I was like, man, they are going to see me as a total mug. <laughs> I have just spent an eighty or ninety minutes on the sideline, yeah, in the cold. We scored doing seven nothing. goals. We scored and we seven got none goals. Of them. Yeah, none of it's on camera. So. We win the first game. Yeah, go ahead. I so, just kind of so yeah. We win the first game. That. that was on a, I don't know, I don't know when it was Tuesday, let's say, and uh, our next game was against North. We had a, probably a day, maybe two days in between, but there was nothing really to change. We had just won seven to one. Things are working just fine, you know, and we played North at home, and North's always a good team, and uh, yeah, there wasn't really anything substantial from the match that I recall for the most part. We were down 1-0. They had a, a, a good goal. It was, it was a great strike uh, in the first half. And it wasn't until 79th minute maybe that we scored a goal to force overtime. But coming into that, we've talked about this a lot, Sebastian. There was really nothing that we were doing to really indicate that like we were knocking on the door. It kind of came out of nowhere. So while we were all really excited, okay, Awesome, we're one one. Here we go. It's overtime, and we lose another one. Right? We lost in overtime again that night, and it didn't take long. It was maybe five minutes into that first overtime period. So here we go. Like this is the season, and we've just lost yet another overtime game. I mean, this is probably like in in their career at this point their ninth or tenth overtime loss. Right? 
That's astounding, by the way. Yeah. That really is an unbelievable amount. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. So we come out of that game. That's a Thursday. We had East the following Monday. So we had basically one day to prepare, maybe two. I don't think we trained that Saturday. Um, Came out against East. I don't think we changed all that much. But against East, we, we were just, we were our own worst enemy that game. We were bickering. Guys weren't performing their, their own jobs and yelling at someone else to do theirs. And it was just that classic case of um, almost, there was that, that taste of prima donna out on the field. And we just did not play well. And we ended up losing 2-0. Now, at the same time, I say there was a lot going on because there was, you know, like, at that time, it had been an absolute nightmare trying to get my assistant coach cleared through Denver Public Schools. It felt like I had zero support from my athletic director at the time, a different AD than we have now. And I get to the game against East, and there's no coach on the sideline for the JV game. And so now I'm left with a choice of going to prepare up on the top field to set up for varsity or sit on the sideline with JV. It's, it's one of the two. I can't be in two places at once. So I decide, well, I'm going to go set up on the top field. Well, then I get a phone call from Alberta, who's on the other sideline because he can't be on the sideline with the players, saying that the referee is about to call the game a forfeit if a coach doesn't come down to the field. So, you know, I've, I've got this whole pregame plan prepared for, to get the boys ready for East and just mentally. And now I'm, I'm losing my mind because I'm like, how can I do my job if I can't even focus on my own team at home, and we've got East who's about to warm up on our field, and we won't even have a coach during our warm-up because I have to go tend to JV right now. So I was just really, really frustrated. So anyways, then the game took shape of its own. We played terribly. We lose 2-0, so now we're 1-2. and two. The very next day, we had to play Regis Groff. So our three toughest opponents, essentially, back-to-back-to-back. Uh, to back to back. Well, against Regis Groff, I came out. And uh, I thought about it a lot. I may have spoken to you. I, I actually remember this. Ga- I think this is the game where you had Peter call in. Yeah. And you had like all <laughs> of the boys yep. come together and you try and you like paired your phone to the speaker. And in the end, it was just all of them together just listening to him on speaker, talk to them and try and give them inspirational words. Yep. yep. Just another creative twist on inspiration. I had Peter. Most of the boys knew Peter. I, I, he called in. He chatted with the boys while I sat up. I just wanted them in the right frame of mind. And, you know, I'd done a lot of thinking the day before, and I had decided to bench Moises that game. I had decided to pull certain players off who had been playing the previous two games. Guys who hadn't played at all got starting nods like like Miles and maybe even Freeman. I don't think Freeman had played much. I can't recall. But we made a lot of drastic changes that game. And we ended up giving up a penalty in the first five minutes. They scored. And we ended up losing 1-0. And that was their only chance. And, man, that was devastating to now be 1-3 after that game. The boys were crushed. I was just left scratching my head. You know, I, I remember I got home and I had a I had a text from a parent who I respect. So I just called him and chatted with him right after that. But it was basically <laughs> questioning why I did what I did. I, so I moved my center back. Who, he had been our center back or right back for the last two and a half years, basically. I moved him to striker because I just saw something there. And Moises, I felt, shouldn't play based on how he did against East. 
And I didn't want, I've never wanted anyone to be an exception to the rule. And so I had to make that decision that game. Maybe we would have won if I'd put him in. Who knows? But we lose that game. We're one and three now. Have that conversation that night. I really didn't sleep. And I remember the whole next day, I was just really internalizing a lot of this. I, I was, oh, and I'd also had it out with my AD that morning. We got in a huge blow up over the phone. Just, there was so much bubbling up beneath the surface, um, maybe for him, but also for me. And I just felt like I didn't have the support that I needed. And it was really frustrating. So that happens. In one side of my mind, I'm thinking, am I going to lose my job? Like I've been here for six years and now we've got this AD here who I feel like doesn't even like me and I might be out. Like this is crazy. And then on the other side, I'm just thinking about the team. Like, okay, where are we at? What role do I have to play in this? Am I the problem? Do they just need a new voice? I remember I even talked to Alberto that day before I chatted with you and posed the question like, dude, what if I, what if I just step down? Like maybe that's what they need. I remember you asking me that too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I just need to step down because I want what's best for them. It's not about me. And, you know, Alberto, I forget his reasoning, but he, it was a hard no. Like that is not, if you're out, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not having anything to do with that. If you leave, I leave. So anyways, then you and I jumped on the phone for quite a while. And this was a good, this is a big conversation. Yeah, we talked, and you can fill in any gaps I missed, but we talked about how well Max did at striker, um, just, just being a physical presence and holding pressing. the ball up and pressing. He was a handful. Um, you talked about pulling Eduardo in from a left-back spot to a center back because he can just command more across the field instead of being cornered to you know the back left and kind of yelling across at guys. He can really just be a presence centrally. Um, you talked about how well Miles did when we put him in, and, and he did. He did a great job, and I think Freeman and Miles uh, played together that day. You know, we I basically pulled Shokin in off the bench, and he did a fantastic job just kind of holding down the fort centrally in front of Eduardo. And so when we started chatting about all the different pieces in play, obviously Moises isn't going to stay on the sideline, but Max was at striker now, so what do we do? 3-5-2 made sense. And, you know, you threw that out there initially, and then as I wrote it down and started looking at it and we started collaborating on it, it just made sense. Now, that was a formation change, and that did make a huge difference. But that I don't think that had we just done that, that that would have been the game changer. No, I, I agree. Um, so I decided that that's what, we, what I wanted to do, but it doesn't matter what I want to do. I need to talk to the boys. So the next day, I wasted no time. I sat down with Moises first and just told him, you know, the way you played against East, it just wasn't good enough, you know, and I kind of picked out examples. And, and I also owned that I, did, I should have said something to you. I, I should have, you know, had a conversation with you and not just put you on the bench and not talk to you. So I apologize for that. I had a lot of those types of conversations. Um, and I, I spoke to Max, and, and you, you brought this up when we were talking, um, to ask him, if he's okay with playing striker. Don't just put him at striker. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. So I sat him down. I said, look, dude, I thought you did amazing at striker the other day. but And this is what I'm thinking. But I'm not going to put you at striker if you're not okay with it. And he, and he just looked at me he's like, yeah, coach. Like, I, I think I could be really good at that. And I think that that would work well. So instantly I had buy-in there. 
I talked to Eduardo, talked to Shokin, maybe I talked to a few others, but ultimately I pulled the whole team inside the shed and I just took ownership over where we were as a group and just got real with them for a few minutes. And the rest of that day was having fun together. Let go of where we're at, let go of the last three games, like that's on me. Let's go have some fun. Let's go play soccer tennis. And that's what we did. We played soccer tennis for the next 90 minutes. We had fun. Uh, I remember me and me and Oliver, our, our, our one of our goalkeepers, we just ran the table on everybody. I showed him who was who was boss still. Um, <laughs> but the next day we got back to business. You know that was that was the reset sort of. Uh, we planted the seed on the reset that day and addressed what we needed to. Well, that was the reset because to anyone who hasn't put this together, that's the last time. Northfield High School Boys Soccer lost a game. March 30th, 2021. It's the last time they lost a game. Yeah. So the following day, so Regis was Tuesday, Wednesday was that day um, when we played soccer tennis, and Thursday we got after it again. Um, I brought in a sports psychologist who had reached out a long, long time ago via email to basically, I guess, every school in DPS, and I was the only one who responded. So I had him come in and just talk to the boys. But he and I did a lot of work behind the scenes, and, and he was instrumental in this. Um, he talked about the three factors that, go, that tie into intrinsic motivation, and intrinsic motivation is key to getting buy-in and uh, just having overall success on an individual and collective basis. And the three keys that tie into that are um, purpose, mastery, and autonomy. So when I brought him in, he talked to the boys initially just about breathing techniques. And, and you were at this session in the dance studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breathing techniques. But then from there, I just started that day with purpose. What is our purpose as a group? And up until this point, they'd always said, to win a state championship. Okay. Well, guys, right now we're not even going to make playoffs. So let's find a new purpose. What is our purpose? And they started defining um, I, I think the, the things that we defined this season may actually be different from what they defined last season. I don't remember what their core purpose last season was, but in terms of their goals that they came up with, it was just to make playoffs. And so then from there, we started peeling back, well, how do we do that? And it comes down to just taking one game at a time. And so we really just started digging in on those types of things, those organizational leadership type of things to get the players to buy in. So we defined what their their purpose was last year. But then also, and this is last spring, so again, at this point, we've got four weeks left in the season, maybe even three. It was crazy fast. But, well, what do autonomy and, and mastery have to do with anything? Well, I had all the boys write down, for mastery, write down the two things that they want to work on. So I had some... Um, like just big like graph paper that I passed out to groups. And all the boys wrote down two things that they wanted to work on. And I compiled all of those things across 20-something players and sort of grouped them into themes. And, you know, it could be long-range passing. It could be finishing. It could be 1v1 attacking, 1v1 defending, whatever. I grouped them into themes that made sense for the group as a whole. And then the next practice, so this is Thursday when we – we did this. Um, the next practice, I believe it was, on Friday, I put together a session that encompassed every single theme for every single player. So we've already touched on purpose, but now we're touching on mastery. 
if they are getting better at something and they feel like they have individual ownership over their own development, they're going to be more bought in, right? And, and not to mention, like, that's what I want for them. I want them to get better. I want them to become better soccer players. So it took me a long time to put together a session that tied in all these different elements for all of their individual goals, but that's what we did the next practice. Not to mention we were in the classroom for a very, very long time each day. So now we've gone Thursday, Friday, and spent it entirely on focused on them, their goals, our why as a team, etc. And the following Monday, we came out, and uh, we had a different formation. They were totally balled in. Yes, we had a few players that were gone on spring break, and they missed all of this. And, you know, that becomes a whole other thing that I had to deal with. But for the ones who were here, we, it completely reshaped the outlook of the group as a whole. And we ended up beating South 3-1 uh, uh, that game at South that day. And that, I mean, ever since then, we've won 25 more games since then. Yep, so 26-0 since that hard reset. And I just think, you know, having been around for it and participated in the conversations of you know, and I, I was so grateful that you wanted to ask, like, what should I do about this? And what do you think about this? And um, it was cool to see you just also just kind of take if you if you ha if you liked anything I said, you just took it and, and, and absolutely like used it to, you know, figure out a way to apply it. And uh, the change was very palpable. I think you could tell within the players. And then when the guys who came back from spring break who missed everything like it was so easy for you to be able to explain to them what was going on because now there was a change. Like yeah. you could see that the team was like working together and and we were winning games. And the guys that sort of rounded out that season who got left out in a way, you know, it, it sucked for them. But it was also just a really good, obvious example of where the program is now at. Now, okay. And I don't mean now as in this today I mean where it was and t closing on the end of the season some of the guys that were no longer playing anywhere near as much as they had at the start it was hard for them to argue mm -hmm. because they could tell that something was changing and something was different I remember one example is right after w one of the first guys who was gone on uh, spring break came back that was the session where I was implementing autonomy where I let the players plan their own practice and and they, it could be whatever they wanted. Whatever they felt that they needed, they planned it. And so I was down on, I don't know, the north end of the field. I don't know what I was doing, maybe hitting long balls with somebody. But I, I hear a collective group of the players while they're playing the, the switching game, basically, the four in the middle and the four on the outsides, you know, the switching go. across. I don't remember what happened, but I remember a handful of players yell at, at a different player who had just come back, that's not the way we're doing things now. And I just, it was it was music to my ears because oh, wow, it yeah. was so many of them. And it happened to be one of the guys who hadn't been here. And so now, like, he's kind of out of place and it's noticeable. And it just is what it is, you know, because you weren't here. So anyways, to your point. Well, and, that, and that's, yeah, because I remember once those games, once we started winning those games, it was like, it was just so obvious everyone had bought in. I mean, I, Eddie all of a sudden looked like a, 
just a full-blown captain. Yeah. You know, and I mean, yeah, like one of what you said about him yelling across the field. One of the things I noticed is this guy's incredibly vocal and opinionated. (laughs) And the most important thing about people like him, me, for anyone who played with me, I was called Coach Seb because I was – and I, not in the best way. I was I yelled too much at my teammates. Now I played central midfield, so I could go and talk to everybody. But I started thinking, well, what, what does that look like for a left back? You're shouting at the right winger, and now <laughs> everybody can hear it, and it's embarrassing, right? You're not commanding. You're just shouting. Stick him in the middle, and all of a sudden it looks and sounds completely different. And that there were just a lot of those small pieces that started to really – to open up. So we finished the season at the end of March. Then the girls obviously do their season and six and oh in that, those last six yeah, as well, we six and oh. And, and then the girls play their season. And then it's like this weird thing where, Oh wait, there's just that six weeks that the girls played at the end of the spring and then summer. And then we're all back together. So all of this is going to stay fresh. Yeah. That's a blessing. I think the yeah. fact that we didn't have to wait, eight, nine months to get them back together and really almost none at all because they were involved during the summer. You mm-hmm. know, they, uh, they worked out a lot. They, they prepared themselves during the summer and I, people knew what was what in terms of what would be expected. Yeah. If you were going to be a member, uh, you know, starting and a member of the group, like you needed to show up ready to go. That was something they all knew. Yeah. So then we start this season. I want One of the most important things that I think happened was their why. So they came up with six core values, and and it's important they came up with them. Because I remember the meeting where we talked about goals, and we wanted to make sure that they stayed away from object-oriented goals. Goals that have a very obvious tangible result to it, like X amount of wins, making playoffs, winning state, scoring X amount of goals. You started to veer them as team goals away from that kind of stuff. And then they went off and decided to basically come up with what the program's commandments would be. Yeah. So I want you to go through all six of those because they're, they're so important. Any coach out there, this is this is how you got to base a team, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think it was the uh, probably the Wednesday. So we started on a Monday. So we had our you know day and a half to two days of tryouts. And then once we had our team set, it was that Wednesday afternoon before training, I took them into the classroom, and we spent a significant amount of time identifying what our purpose is. So the way we've structured things is we had our overall purpose for the season. And then underneath that, we had goals for the season. And then underneath that, we would break out different chunks of the season, and we would have an underlying purpose for that and underlying goals for each game that tie into that. So at the very beginning, you know, uh, like you said, I kind of steered them, um, but I wanted them to come up with what these were. So the the six things that they came up with, oh, they were team as a family. They were trust plus accountability equals ownership. And I'll kind of circle back on each of these. Learning and growing together striving for excellence every day, leaving something meaningful behind, and having a positive reputation in the community. And and we spoke a long time about, you know, what each of these mean, but for them, 
team as a family was huge because I treat them like a family. I I sit down with them individually and hash out any kind of disagreements or problems that maybe they have or maybe they didn't play and they want to know why. I'll give them that time. Like, there's no point in being that tough coach who doesn't treat you with respect because they're not going to respect you. So I treat them like a family, but they had to treat each other like a family. And that goes that goes back to many of their sophomores and freshman year when we had that come to Jesus session before East. That was the whole topic of, of that, that day. We are a family. What goes on inside the family stays in the family. If you have a problem with each other, look each other in the eye, figure it out. If you can't figure it out, pull someone else in, pull a brother in, pull a teammate in. If you still can't figure it out, come get coach, right? But that's the kind of things that you do as a family. So that was that was a really important one. They're all important. Um, but the second one, trust plus accountability equals ownership. Ultimately, I want them to take ownership over the program, right? I've carried the program for seven, six years at this point on my back and building it. At this point, guys, you're the ones who have to win the games. You have to take ownership over whatever the outcomes are going to be. And so, you know, they have to trust each other. And But you can only trust each other if there is also accountability that's attached, right? If I trust you to do a job and you don't do it and I can't hold you accountable, well, it's going to go nowhere, right? Next time I'm not going to, I'm just not going to trust you. But But with that, with them being able to trust each other and hold each other accountable, does come ownership. And I always, you know, use the kind of the phrase, mean no offense, take no offense. And I tell the boys, you know, on the field, if if I have your best interests at mind and I'm giving you feedback, constructive feedback, even if it comes across the wrong way, if you trust me that I have your best interests at mind, then you're going to receive what I'm telling you without taking offense to it. And we can actually dialogue through it and we can problem solve together. Um, so we just talked a lot about that. Um, learning and growing together. Well, <laughs> they've learned and grown a lot over three and a half years up to this point. And we knew that we would continue to do so. We, we've always talked about, you know, the trajectory of growth does have little dips in it because that's when you iterate. That's when you pivot and you try new things. And it seems like maybe you're regressing or slowing down, but then all of a sudden you grow even more because you've taken the time to try and adapt and all the players understand that, and they know that learning and growing is just a part of it. And from day one, I've always told them, first, we've got to learn how to compete. At, at some point, we finally did. Then we've got to learn how to win games. At some point, we did. Then we have to learn how to win tough games. Then we have to learn how to win championships. So we're always somewhere on that spectrum, and they knew that. And this season was learning how to win tough games. And really that happened about halfway through the season um, consistently. And then we were ready to focus on winning championships. But they knew that the growth opportunity was always going to be there. Um, Let's see, from there, uh, what what am I missing? Uh, Accountability. Striving for excellence every day. Um, I've always said that our standard is perfection. Does that mean that we can achieve it? Absolutely not. We never can. We never will. But striving for it is noble. It's worthwhile. And so striving for perfection or excellence every day is our goal. And that means desiring to win 
every single day. Doesn't mean you will, and it doesn't mean you're a failure if you if you lose, because you can still desire and you can still compete in such a way to put yourself on the winning side. Um, leaving a legacy behind. You know, we set a BHAG a couple years ago, and, and a BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's, 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 it's a goals goal, right? Like, winning a state championship is a goal. Maybe it's a BHAG to some, but it wasn't so big, hairy, and audacious that it should be a BHAG for us. The BHAG that they set years ago was to be a premier program in the Rocky Mountain region, right? Well, how the heck do you do that? Well, you know, that would be leaving something meaningful behind, um, leaving a legacy behind from a performance standpoint. Winning a state championship as well. Had we failed to do that, hey, winning the league, it's leaving something meaningful behind. If we failed to do that, it's pouring into the underclassmen, right? Because all of these boys had that. They had that founding class that poured into them. So they see the importance of, you know, carrying the water coolers, so to speak, for the freshmen early on because by the end of the season, the freshmen are going to be doing it for you when you need them to. Um, so that was the, that was the fifth one. And then the last one was just having a positive reputation in the community. And, uh, you know, they came up with all of those on their own. And so the whole season, it, we always came back to how are we tracking toward our purpose? Like, what are some examples that we have lived out as a group that tie to these things? So underneath that, though, that's when we started digging into actual goals, and, you know, we just set two goals for the year. We said we'd, we want to win the league and we want to make playoffs. Two things that, by the way, had never happened in right. the school's history. And not only that, it's important to mention a lot of the teams in this league, there are a fair few, especially strong ones, Northfield never beaten before. Yeah. So we're going into this season. You've got this group of seniors who are like, you know, this class of kids that either were on varsity from the very, very beginning when, when they came in or they were on JV and then ended up coming into varsity. And then you've got a, a lot of these juniors that are involved in it. And all of a sudden, I mean, from, look, from the very first preseason day, the scrimmages that we did out at Aurora Sports Park where I was doing a tournament and I had a game and then I drove down to watch them play for basically a half. And then went back. I watched them, or no, watched them play like a 40-minute scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And I was looking around and I was like, uh, looking at all the other teams out there. And we're just putting corner kicks away. We look like terrifying on every single set piece. We're moving the ball really beautifully. And the guys are playing in these gray um, sleeveless shirts. And I'm like, we look like a college team. Like, look how ripped they all are. And I'm looking at, you know... Other schools, five A schools, other five A schools sitting around us, and it's just, it's a wimpy looking group that's just struggling in the heat, and our guys are just out there just moving the ball and just look very, very, very fit. And I remember being very impressed. And at this point, uh, so for a little context on where I had finally gotten after my uh, my major biff with the. Uh, the video against Lincoln from way back in the spring. I actually did do video analysis a few more times in the spring, which I personally think was one of the main um, sources of buy-in from the players. I think that's yeah. where I got my credibility with them. They were like, oh, this dude actually, like, 
he's right about a lot of these things. He makes it interesting. And yeah, and I and I tried to make it fun and interesting for them. And um, so and, yeah, the, the little videos with some of the captions at the bottom and stuff that I did, and uh, it, it was cool to to see them on that day and be like, guys, you guys look like a college team. You guys are gonna blow everyone out of the water you play today enjoy yourselves and then I went back and coached coached my other teams and it was you know it was great and so then then we start the season and I mean I I, I guess this is the part that's really strange is when, when you go 20 and 0 in a season it's hard to look at specific any turning points or anything like that because it was it was so methodical the whole way through and and watching you do this and work with the players mm-hmm. Again, I want I want because I, I said this to the guys. You guys are the hardest working team in the state, and I know that there's a lot. Like this is something that I used to hear all the time when we're doing extra running, we're doing those extra five minutes of sprints. Our coach is like, "This is why we're going to win because we're the hardest working team in the state right now." And in my head, I'm thinking every coach is doing this exact same thing. They're like, "Oh, we're going to run just that extra five minutes because that's going to be the difference." Mm-hmm. No, the difference was. We're spending an hour and 15 minutes in the classroom before we go out to the fields. And then we're going to be on the fields for as long as it takes. I mean, the level of buy-in the players had, to me, was it showed that we were not at all lucky in anything we were earning. And then as the season wore on, and there were some games where we probably got lucky to – to win or win as easily as we did or to not go behind at any point because, again, an interesting thing about this team, first game of the season against Golden, you go down 2 nothing from a 40-yard you know, rocket and could just hit one over Alex and then an own goal. And this is the part that is so crazy. You win the game 4-2. Not again for the next 19 games do you even go behind. So... <laughs> This is the kind of thing where, like, you know, me as a coach, I love failures because there's a such good teaching moments. And we had to take a team that was winning ugly and tell them this isn't good enough. This will trip you up. And the fact that every day you got this same clear understanding. They were never satisfied with themselves throughout mm-hmm. m- almost the entire season until – uh, last Friday, and yeah, I just think that that there's every single bit of this that you brought in, like from the very beginning. I mean, I heard you tell one of the parents when we were a C team, I treated these guys like the same, like this. I treated them the same as I do this group, and you know, for me, I think that that's kind of like I find that inspirational because I am somebody who takes a look at teams and their levels and stuff, and I know at the youth, you know, when it's not high school ball, you. You know, maybe that's a little bit more uh, excusable, but I kind of looked at you and was like, "Man, I, you know, I'm not sure if maybe the way I I approach some of these younger teams, I'm like, well, they're 13 year old boys. It's a little different than the 15 year old boys or whatever. Like, it's it's a little di- yeah, it is a little different. But am I treating them differently? Am I treating them with a little less responsibility and 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 asking them to be more to, to just be just as accountable? And I, I think it was just a great point of self-reflection for me. I was like, I really ought to make sure that like I stay consistent with those values. And for any coach out there, I think that is just so crucial. Like you, you you can't skip that step. Yeah. And just watching a team go where we did, 
this season, it's all because, and I really attribute this, you did not skip steps along the way. And look, you're, you're not a person who was working, you know, this is not your only job. And the amount of hours that you put into this team for every single thing, you know, we had Veo going this year, shout to Veo, you guys have a great thing, except when it starts tracking moths, um, <laughs> just a funny little, but, uh, you know, there were all these pieces, the amount of work you put in. And then, like I said, I go back to things like you training with Gabe, that one-on-one when he's the only kid that shows up, just having training basically in a median. Um, and, you know, deciding to re-up. All of this stuff led to being able to build a machine that was just this ready. Yeah. So one thing that I want you to do, because it is... I want you to talk about some of the serendipitous things that happened this season that you feel are just fun little tokens to to talk about and think about. And I, and I and I think I just want to mention this. I don't really love to talk about it was destiny for us because we talked about how it was destiny for North High School this year. Right. Right? And so every team gets to gets to have a very genuinely real reason for why they deserve it this year just for a little context on north because i want to give them i want to give them their due here whether they made a state final and lost state se- then the next year state semis and lost the to co- the eventual champion yeah covid year they get to the final outplay the winner but lose and then this season they're back in the semis they're back in us. the semis lose to us but also in the season they had a player get killed in the car accident the night before they played you guys in league I mean, this team for sure thought that it was for them. And so it's not about, you know, what conspires to make you the most worthy. But it's all the little other things that are just, they're beautiful tokens. Um, And so I I just want you to go through some of those because we've talked about them and there's just some awesome stuff. So go ahead and talk about some of those serendipitous things that happened this year that Yeah, and if I miss any, let me know. Sure. well, first off, it took seven years to do it, and I just find it very ironic that I've been saying for seven years that it would take seven or eight. And I think seven is more meaningful to me just because it's that number of completion. That's the way I, it's a biblical number. It is finished, you know, and it took seven years before we finally did it. So I find that a little ironic, and I take some, um, I don't know, peace in that. Um, I've been saying also from day one that things would come down to set pieces. I, I forgot that I had. Um, obviously I've been working on set pieces with the boys religiously all year long. Uh, and I'm still disappointed we didn't get to pull out the one that I've named after you in the final, but it'll come around one day. I know it. Um, but it did come down to set pieces. And my friend Peter reminded me of that after we won it. He said, you've been telling me all season long, it would come down to set pieces. And it's, it's just amazing that both goals for the semi and the final. They were. They were free kicks. Um, and the execution of the shot itself that, you know, I, I kind of don't give myself credit at times. Like, that's down to the players. But when I really look at it, like, we practiced screening the goal with those three players. We practiced them peeling out and following everything. Like, we, we practiced the cohesion between the two players on the ball and the one stepping up who's not shooting. All of that we rehearsed over and over and over again. So it's amazing that that's actually what won it. It comes down to fine margins. Oh, well, that, I'm, I think I, I need to just jump into the intention to detail that these boys were putting into set pieces. 
this was I remember it was it was during the playoff run. I don't remember which session it was that I came to where we did this, but I mean they were it was eight o'clock. Half the kids on the team who weren't really involved in this discussion were sitting around and just waiting and these guys are going through the tiniest thing. It's like, yeah, but do we go when the hand comes down or we do, do like when do we move and shouldn't we back up to here? And then there's discussions, well, we used to do this, but then we change it to this because of that. And just watching them really have open-ended debate about how to make these set pieces work as well as they did. And then like you mentioned, for anyone out there, uh, I recommend you go ahead on Instagram and follow Northfield um, High School Boys Soccer because you will see a post that is uh, the two goals, the one in the semifinal and the one in the final. And aside from a maybe difference of seven, eight yards in terms of where they were at, they were identical. Mm -hmm. The placement, they both hit the bar, they both went in, they both were not bar in the top, top corner. They got a little bit of a loop and they're not the same player. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not the same player. It's two different guys, and they are the and like you said, the only two free kicks we got in shooting range in those final 160 minutes of soccer. Yeah. So I just wanted to jump on that one too as well because the set pieces thing and the way that they bought in, the way they adored it, and the way they pushed through it, it definitely had an impact. So and, and also sidebar, you know, I do I, I take for granted sometimes that because I was a player, it helps, but it truly does. Because anytime there was disagreement on timing or type of delivery, I would just kind of take my coach hat off and walk down there and put myself in their shoes. And then I could help. Oh, you know what? Yeah, this timing's weird. Let me, let's think through this. And I could just step into it with them until we get it polished off. And it actually felt right for the server, for the runners. And, and, you know, we got it sorted clearly. Totally. Um, But, you know, I find it funny that we used to be a 4-3-3. I mean, for, Five and a half years, we were a four-three-three. We switched back to a three, or switched to a three-five-two. We do that hard reset. We win basically twenty-four games playing that. You know, we we went to a four-three-three very briefly against Far Northeast this year, but that was it. And I find it ironic that going into the semis and the final, we did prepare in case we needed to move back to four in the back. And in the final, we absolutely needed to pivot to that, and that's how we won it. Mullen was a great team. And we just absorbed, absorbed, absorbed. Alex was phenomenal coming off of his line. We know that he could sit deep because Eduardo could just knock the ball back to him. Um, but we prepared for that. So I find it ironic that that's, that's how we finished. And that's also how we started. And 25 games in between, we were totally different. Um, the referee of the final, this is, I think, serendipitous. Um, but... Not that he did anything advantageous for us, but he used to ref our games when we were a C team. Um, I remember him from early days because he became friends with my old assistant, Andy, and would just comment how you guys are you know, teaching these boys the right way to play. You're moving the ball. You're playing the game the right way. And I don't think I've seen Bola since 2017 until we had him against Holy Family in the playoffs. And, and that was kind of exciting when I saw him walking over I was like Bola what's up man you know and you know shook his hand and chatted briefly and you know it, for anyone who says he he called things in our favor he gave a penalty to Holy Family and it was not a penalty if you ask me but um so that had nothing to do with it but I felt it to just be ironic that I haven't seen this guy for at least four years he did so many games when we were in our infancy and now he's refereeing the final down at Widener Field I just the center of the final. I, 
I just thought that that was really bizarre. It was almost like, you know, that's my story. It's written in the stars, you know. Um, the day of the championship, my mom, she flew out here from North Carolina, um, had been out here for our whole playoff run, and it was on her birthday. And I just, again, I thought that that was really cool because I have just put so many years into this thing. And for it to culminate like that on her birthday, we could have lost, but that just made it so much more meaningful for me. Um, let's see what else. The, the, I mean, the stage itself was brilliant. A number one versus a number two. We had flip-flopped in the polls all year long opposite sides of the bracket. It's the final that everyone wanted to see. 8 p.m. on a Friday night down at Switchback Stadium. Uh, We both had scored 88 goals. Uh, You know, they gave up seven. We had given up 10, I believe, coming into the the game. So two very comparable teams. And it's the game that everybody wanted. Um, And just for, for the game to go the way it did, for it to finish the way that it did, I just thought, it could not have been a more classic, um, or as Mullins' coach said when I called him a couple days after the game, a proper final. It was a proper final, um, and it was. Um, yeah, and just, I guess, one other thing that I, I kind of pulled out of my back pocket was I copied another Anson Dorrance trick, which I thought was brilliant and, you know, heartfelt, but it was writing the seniors' letters before the match. I spent all day Friday going into the game writing them, uh, just a personalized letter. I, I didn't work at all that day because I had to write 11 handwritten letters. Um, but I, I told him not to read them till after the match. And uh, I, I, I sent them all out of the locker room with you, Seb, for about 20 minutes while I read each of these letters to the juniors. And the purpose behind it is really just to maybe bind them all together even more. Um, even though the seniors don't know what I'm saying about them, everyone else hears... Uh, the love and the compassion and the um, I, the genuineness of the message. And, I, you know, it's their last game that they're ever going to have in a Northfield uniform. So it just makes everyone else fight that much harder for them. And I got, I got that idea from Anson Dorrance, and ironically, he's never lost a game when he's pulled that out um, of his pocket. He pulled it out, he said one time in the semifinals, against the team and, and they won, but then they got to the final and he had nothing left and they lost, you know? So it, it's, it's kind of a gamble if you save it, but I pulled out every trick that I had and I felt an overwhelming sense of peace coming into that match. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Am I missing anything you can think of from a serendipitous perspective? No, I mean, you could, I think we could go actually for hours if we wanted to talk about each individual player. Oh, yeah. And this is the part where, you know, I, Doing a, a podcast like this, I, I don't necessarily want to, uh, you know, go and get blow these guys up f- totally. I mean, I, I think that their story, they're able to promote themselves. But I just want to say all of their names real quick. Oliver, Alex, Jack, Ian, Eduardo, Eli, Miles, Zach, Ben, Max, Moises, Samuele, Johnny, Blair, Mercer, Jack, Ren, Chance, Beckham, Cooper, Rowan, Charlie, I'd say it that way because when France won the World Cup final in 2018, after the final, I watched a replay just of the the way the French commentators reacted because I knew that was going to be gold, the way they were reacting towards the victory of the World Cup. And that's what they did. The the commentator named, like right when the final whistle blew, he named all the players by their first name, Hmm. which I thought was kind of cool. 
And I, I, you know, for them to get this experience, they can come up with all kinds of different things. But there, there were a lot of beautiful stories. And, you know, as a coach, you hang on to those. I think, like we said, we, you and I could sit around and we, we, I think we maybe did talk about the serendipitous things and we went, we went on for ages. Um, because it, there's so many parts to the story that were beautiful. And one of the things I remember so well in the chaos after the final and people are running around and we're hugging literally every single person two or three times over, I remember stopping you for a second and letting you know, like, dude, I've learned so much from you this year. Like, you've been my mentor because as much as maybe I've been able to be helpful, just, you know, there – uh, able to be, you know, only two days a week for trainings and then ugh, missed more than half the games because they were on nights where I trained my teams. So to me, like just to let you know on that field, I've learned a lot from you this year. And I have a lot of confidence in in the way I build and the way I organize my teams and the things that I do, the extra stuff I do that I know other coaches are like, well, really? That's, that's a lot of work, man. <laughs> um, but... Th- the way I do it in the youth game is one thing, but to then see it come to fruition, like it, it, it was so inspirational to see the way it ended and to see all these serendipitous things. Because I remember earlier in the season, um, we had issues with the scoreboard, mm-hmm. right? Uh, last in the spring as well. Um, This year, there were issues with the lights a couple times. And I remember you multiple times saying, this is the problem about working for a school program. You have all these extra rules and all this extra BS that just gets in the way. And all I want to do is coach my team. And, you know, I was sitting there thinking, well, gosh, that sounds sounds like a job that, you know, the soccer side of it's great. But, geez, I mean, like all the extra stuff, it just gets in your way. But, no, it doesn't. Actually, what what I've learned from this experience is it doesn't get in your way at all unless you let it. And what you did was you found solutions. When their lights were out, once again, this is a situation where so many coaches would have said, guys, sorry, the lights are out, football's got a game, or they've got training. Like, look, let's just relax and take the night off. Something that I would very likely have done because I would have been like, I don't really know. Like, this field's not open. We can't use that. We We don't have permits for this. No, instead... You have the whole team drive 20 minutes, you know, out to Montbello um, or, you know, just out east to Evie Dennis to a different school to use a field. Meanwhile, the team's like 15 and 0, Mm -hmm. you know, like, sorry, like 10 and 0 at the time or something like that. And we were 15 headed into the playoffs with no field to train. Okay. Yeah. With no field to train on. And once again, it's being humble enough to know that you have. That there's no, this isn't happening to you. Like, it's not someone doing this to you. It's happening and you're either going to do the best you can with it or not. But so many times, despite, you know, being your confident in a lot of ways and seeing you just you know, rail and bitch about some of these things. But that was, you externalized it that way to me, but you, when you internalize it and then, and then externalized to the players. They never get that. Yeah. What you what they saw was unflappable commitment from their coach, and you know a, a huge shout out to Alberto Vasquez. Who I mean, look, he's your JV coach, uh, and 
Alberto had such an important role in staying connected with Eddie and helping bridge the gap to Moises. These are two Latino boys and in a, the rest of the team's white kids. And look, culturally, sometimes it just helps to have someone that can, sp- and I'm not saying speak the languages and speak Spanish, but speak the languages. I understand your family. I understand I all the empathize. little things. There's a deeper level. Um, and then I think, you know, me as part of the trident of the coaching, one thing that I gave the kids was uh, that I noticed towards the end was I gave them a, a clear uh, reference point of what youth soccer is because that's where I coach. So I brought my entire mentality of youth, youth soccer, which is positive growth. Like kids came off the field having struggled. And I was like, you're doing great. You're doing fine. Let's just talk about one little thing, you know, and, and, they kind of looked at me like, well, this guy's like super nice about this, right? But like I wanted them to also have that tethered point to like this is also about fun, guys. Like this yeah. is about that. And I felt that there's all these little points that we that we hit on. And then I don't want to leave someone else out who I think these are the unsung heroes. Stephanie Kylie, um, your basically team manager who went above and beyond all season – you know, I remember right after we beat North, um, I mean, actually, it was after we beat Golden in the in the quarters. She was already like, okay, we've got to get a bus to bring kids down to mm-hmm. Legacy Stadium, but we've also got to start organizing if we beat, if we win the semis, we've got to have, be able to bus kids down to Colorado Springs. And not only did that get accomplished... And that we had triple, quadruple, I don't know, maybe even five times the amount of fans Mullen did at the final. But the send-off the boys got at the school before My they goodness. left. I mean, I look at those videos, and I've never seen that from a high school no. soccer thing. I mean, it, it, you know, we're talking a drum line leading a bunch of kids through school on a Friday at Every noon. single kid is out of their class, I mean, lining the halls. Yeah. And... You know, this really turned into a Nighthawk Nation, you know, the protect the nest thing, that mascot doing backflips. I mean, <laughs> like there was just, you know, the whole the whole thing really what I would say they did was they accomplished all their goals, especially leaving something positive behind and being a positive influence on the community. Well, you since, know. since the dust has settled a bit, it's amazing how many of these kids have grown up together. But even more so, how many of these parents have known each other for a very, very long time? And so they've been in the Stapleton community. And so for me, seven years ago is when Northfield was built. But for them, maybe it goes back 15 or 20 years that they've been in the area, right? And so now there's this school that's been built, and their kids have been a part of this new thing. But now they're winning a state title? Like, it's, it's tied the community together in such a way. I mean, there were so many people, fans, crying after the game. Oh, I mean, I know. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, it, was inc- it was incredible. P- P- yeah, students, adults, like, crying out of genuine happiness yeah. about what was going on. And, and, yeah, I mean, the way all those kids were greeted by their friends, the way the families just – the way people stuck around in the stands and everything, I mean uh, – yeah, it really was the community piece of it. And we can talk about the football and the winning and everything. And 
But, you know, to see how much it meant to Zeke, the athletic director, who used to be the basketball coach, right? Um, he's been with you since the beginning. Yep. And to see how much it meant to him every game, uh, it really had an impact on people. And just you wielded your own passion, the sport, um, and then a set of values. And you had no idea where it was going to take you, really. But the fact that it's gone specifically to this point, to me, it's just a really good inspirational story of, like, stick to what is real. Stick to what is genuinely morally you. And have and have good philosophies and values to bring to a group of people because you got poked at so many times. If, if you were flimsy about your values, you'd have been gone a long time ago. And so, the, again, again, it's trust your values and be really – you know, really invest in the fact that you know your why as a coach. And if you can help a team know their why, it's such a powerful thing to to send along. And I would add to that, surround yourself with good people, like-minded people, because if Andy and Pete weren't around from 2015 to 2018, 19, I guess, you know, if you and Alberto weren't around last spring, I don't, I don't know where I would be. You know, like I'm, I'm human just like the rest of us. So I have my own struggles on the journey. So you got to, you know, you have to know your why, but you're still going to encounter difficulties. So you've got to surround yourself with good people who can help you along the way. Yeah. And, and I, that, I think that lesson hopefully also went to the players where it's like they, I mean, I can tell you right now, at the banquet, I had a few of the guys come up to me and tell me, thank you, and they told me that I helped you a lot. And I'm not sure if they know, ex- I don't know, they didn't They didn't say, because I didn't say, oh, oh, really? Tell me why. <laughs> I just, come on, floss me, guys. Like, I, yeah. you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say that, but I, I, I kind of just assumed what it was in a way. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, you know, whether it was players who played a lot and got a lot of minutes or players who got very few minutes who were seniors, the thank you that I got was the same from all of them hmm. um, in, the, in, the, in, in what it – in how they said thank you for – you know, thanks for helping so much. Like you helped out the, uh, all of us and coach a lot. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't – like I said, I don't know exactly what it is, but it feels like it had something to just do with – I was able to be like your assistant in the sense that, like you've said before to me, if players came off the field, you had to be paying attention to the game. I could either prep someone to come on or I could talk someone after they came off so that they got that little piece of value where maybe you wouldn't have had the time or bandwidth to give it to them. And so I think they recognized that more than anything, that I was able to use my sort of my skills in moments where you had to be focusing on something else and that it had an impact on everybody. I can't say for sure, but, you know, that and just bring, bringing just a, a slightly different dimension, everyone does. Alberto brought a great dimension. He, he, mm-hmm. he, he said really good speeches. He also knew how to G players up individually. Um, you know, I came with, when I, when I came to do sessions and do activities, it was like, 
stuff they'd never really done or seen before. Walking soccer. Like the walking soccer, yeah. yeah. And just like, and or bring in the mini balls or, you know, and like um, stuff that was, you know, just a little more creative from what the daily was. Because you can't do creative stuff every single day as a coach. No. You're the one that has to make sure there's a solid basis. And then surrounding yourself with good people, like you said, I would just think it's so important. Um, so we, here's the funny thing. We've actually gone pretty much to like, like Joe Rogan length podcast territory here. I think we've gone for about this two is like, and a half this hours. This is like average phone call for us though. Yeah, this is the thing. So I think you, uh, you, when you introduced me at the banquet to speak, you said, I've spoken to Sebastian more than pretty much any other man in my entire life, <laughs> which I thought was great, hilarious. And yeah, so more than anything, uh, I, I, for anyone sitting around listening to this going, well, what's next for Jason Kiever? I don't want to put you under that pressure because you've already told me you have you. absolutely no idea. And it's better to – we've talked about this. It's better to bottle this up and enjoy it and really take stock of what it means personally and what it means to for the, for the group, for the community, for the players, and to give yourself the time to, like, just kind of enjoy it get your ring, you know, and like, and just enjoy it and, um, and be able to think through the spring because you've achieved something big. Um, but why don't we actually just go ahead and say the award that the awards you've gotten? Would you, what, how have you been decorated from this? Well, I don't think it's publicly announced yet, but, um, uh, what guess, will be now. Yeah. Um, I got the, um, uh, 2A, 3A, 4A, they're all into one, uh, I guess, sort of pool. But um, Colorado State Coach of the Year for United Soccer Coaches. So, yeah, that's huge. Um, they haven't officially announced it yet, so I don't know if I've gotten the Chassa 4A Coach of the Year award okay. or not. Uh, it's, it'll be either me or Mullen's coach. Um, but regardless, for United Soccer Coaches, I yeah, I was awarded with that. So basically the United Soccer Coaches 4A Coach of the Year for Colorado. So that's pretty cool. Um, and you know, they'll, they'll, uh, announce the far West regional coach of the year at the convention. Um, you know, that's all cool decoration. Well, and, and I want to, and then I want to talk about how you personally decorated yourself, what you said at the banquet about your LinkedIn profile. Say, speak on that real quick. What'd you do? I just, <laughs> I just swapped out my photo, uh, which was a, a professional headshot to me holding the trophy, just looking so happy. Changed my headline from mortgage banker to a soccer coach, culture builder, and just you just updated all of that. I, you know, I don't I don't know what the future holds from a career perspective or even just a Northfield perspective. I know that whatever I do, I want to do it the right way, which is a hundred percent in. You're ready to do it. No other way than the best you can. Um, so I don't know if, a if a great opportunity came along in the coaching role outside of Northfield, that is, I would probably entertain it. But short of that, I just want to be bought in like I have been with Northfield and still am with Northfield hundred percent. And for me, that means that there's got to be some sort of vision. There's got to be a purpose. There's got to be some kind of impact that I can have. Um, and I've, I've got to have the tools necessary to do it. I've got to be competent in it. Um, so, yeah, I just I changed my whole LinkedIn completely. I don't know if my, my day job boss will 
um, be a little intrigued by that when he sees it or not, but I, I don't really care. So, <laughs> well, and look, I think that when you told me that, I was like, that's important, man. Like, that's a huge part also of buying into yourself, yeah. right? And being like, no, 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 this is what I spent hours of passion pouring into. The other thing I was doing, and half the time I felt like it was getting in the way, yeah, you know, totally. And so, you know, th- yeah, th- I thought that was great. And, um, you know, we we arrive at this point. Who knows what what's coming next for you? But I I just think that you accomplished something bigger because also just a few days ago, just a couple of days ago, I was doing a finishing camp for some kids at the indoor facility, and one of the boys from I think the C team had his Northfield training jacket on, and he was you know in the camp and he looked right at me early on and he waves and he's smiling. And I don't even know this kid's name. Oh. I didn't coach him. I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But he's a Northfield guy, and he saw me speak a little bit at the banquet, but he seen me around, and That's I was funny. like, man, this is the community. Yeah. This is the community, and this is what, you know, you primarily, because you've been around, you know, and then every single one of the players that came through, what what has been built here is something special. And uh, in order to maintain it, I've said that those guys – they need to pass down those six those six core values to every team that comes after. Hundred um, percent. And it needs to be the same as as tradition as songs that you sing on the bus on the way home from games. Um, you know, for me, at, I went to Evergreen High School. I don't know if they still do it. Hopefully, they still do. But we sang "Show Me the Way to Go Home," the song that they sing in Jaws when they're drinking at the table. Maybe this. Started in the 80s. Some of the guys saw Jaws and decided, let's sing that on the way home from a bus. I'm not sure. I don't remember where it started. But we were still doing that in 2004. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 what I'm hoping is that in uh, 2031, it's 2031 season, 10 years after they won the, the state title for the first time, hopefully, hopefully more after, but that they will still have those core values and that they will still have that to fall back on because this title winning team of 2021 they'll go down in history in the school and look I I also hope for the players individually that they all get a little extra from this that they all get some kind of a little bump in terms whether it's confidence but then also that it maybe elongates their future in the game and, and at least helps maybe a few to just that extra higher level I just love where it's all, where it all went, and the story has been beautiful. I'm so grateful you brought me on to be a part of it because this ride, just from being there on the first day in February, going, you couldn't write a better story. This team could win state, and then knowing, and then learning what you went through all the way up until that point. It's a beautiful story. It really is, and so I hope everyone listening enjoyed this. You've you've mentioned you're going to go ahead and blast this off to everyone you know. I think that's, I think it's important. I really wanted you to tell your story, uh, also that involves your playing career, and telling the story of how you did this because I got to witness part of it, and I do think it's so valuable. So, as a learning experience, but also for anyone you know, anyone who was involved in this, I just hope it brings as much positivity as possible. So, I want to close out by letting you say anything you want, any shout-outs, anything you want to say, just to just to kind of put the bow on this on this entire ride 
I know I'm going to miss people in this because I didn't didn't prepare for it. But Well, Oscar-style speech, I might start playing music in 10 minutes if you're still going. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, well, I mean, first off, just every coach that's that's been a part of this journey with me, for sure. Andy, Peter, you, Alberto, you've all, you've all been instrumental in this. Um, you know, my, my high school coach, he's a huge part of this. He's a huge part of why I see the game the way I do. So I just, and I even chatted with him a few weeks ago before we were entering the playoffs, catching up with him. I haven't talked to him in two years. Um, and he just said, just continue to just enjoy the journey. The journey is the destination. Um, and, and continue to make sure the boys remember to just invest in each other and the memories because that's all you have um so yeah definitely shout out to him even though you know it's been years quite frankly um shout out to my wife she's put up with me not being around a lot most evenings uh, my family in particular my mom um you know i just keep up with her and tell her what we're doing she's always a source of encouragement I want to give a shout out to Jason Keller. He he hired me. He was the um, genesis in the hiring committee. He's the one who sat down with me in the very beginning, had researched me, knew everything about me when we we're sitting at a Starbucks in Lowry, and it was like I kind of came away from that excited, but also like, man, that was kind of weird. He, like he's really done his homework on me. Um, but yeah, he was essential early days. He helped me with so many things. Um, not just like getting the job, but also his kid was a freshman in that founding class. So he was around every step of the way, um, just all, just always offering support. So I'd like to give a shout out to him. Um, shout out to the founding class because they, they're not getting rings. They're, you know, now juniors at whatever respective college that they're at but they still keep in touch. I got an email from one of them who's in Australia right now leading into the final. I had texts from most of them at some point, either before or after the final. One of them drove all the way down from Fort Collins to see the final. Um, so just shout out to them for laying the foundation and putting in the work um, f- for the promised land, so to speak, that they, they would never get to experience, but they can be proud of it. And frankly, shout out to every single player who's in the program right now, current. You know, I, as you were talking about legacy and leaving something meaningful behind just a minute ago, I drove, or drove, I flew a handful of these boys out to North Carolina a couple years ago to take them to an indoor tournament. But on that trip, I was able to take them up to the classroom of my high school to show them what legacy looks like. And they see decades of legacy there. And I hope that, you know, at least with the returning group, you know, we've got a solid core of of juniors returning, that they remember that because a lot of them were on that trip. And I hope that they they remember what that looks like and what it means to really, like, stamp your your legacy on something. And it lives and dies with culture. So shout-out to the seniors for doing everything that they've done. Shout-out to the juniors for uh, being pivotal in that. But, uh, you know... You returners, you juniors and senior, uh, juniors and sophomores currently, you're going to carry the torch. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's all I got right now. Maybe later I'll think of something. But thanks for having me on here, Seb. This is this is great. I, I love your your podcast, and I'm blasting it out there to grow your fan base, not just so that I can hear myself talk. <laughs> <laughs>